The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. What is at eye level? A reductio ad absurdum look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network on Blog Talk Radio. Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without his scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various thoughts on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner and fellow seekers of truth in this journey towards life. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. 
And now the moment you've all been waiting for. You're listening to Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. Tonight, joining us for a friendly pint with Norman D. Norman J. Warren and Mr. Walker. You're on Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. Welcome to, uh, oh, geez, what, are, what week are we on now? 17, 18. Uh, the no, I thought last week was 18. Apparently not, because unless we change oh. the schedule, I don't know. Uh, so we are now week 18 of the show, and I think we're about five or six into the second season, if you want to reckon it that way. Uh, of which inside the gold mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. So drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, hated, weird, and wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So this week on Weird Scenes, we take on two of the most important directors in 70s British cinema. Now think about this. we We think they're important. I think so, period, because think about this. Outside of Hammer, Tygon, and Amicus, and maybe the short-lived Wonderkin Michael Reeves, how many British, you know, new look, you know, modern-day cult directors of the era can you name? So, you know, Pete Walker and Norman J. Warren managed to carve themselves something of a conjoined niche unto themselves outside the larger studios. With their efforts gracing grindhouse theaters and syndicated programming alike throughout the 70s and 80s, their names have become synonymous with concurrent silence and sex and horror, often featuring some very well-established names in the business. So, join us tonight as we speak to the dark and gritty, or saucy and bouncy, boundary-pushing efforts of Norman J. Warren and Pete Walker. So, uh, with me tonight is my co-host, Louis Paul, as always. Uh, I was just telling him offline, I, it was a crazy freaking day. First, I had um, the equivalent of a performance review. It wasn't. It had to do with uh, all, all sorts of other things that uh, involved in the corporate world. And then, that was like at the right at the end of the freaking day. And then I had to run out to go to a dentist appointment that we scheduled back in the summer. Uh, and then I had to come running back and try to have some food, which we literally scaffed down in the eight to ten minutes before the show and while the uh, the promos were running. So here we are. <laughs> wow. Behind-the-scenes fun for y'all. Yeah, I, I, I trust the performance review went well. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, like I said, it wasn't literally a performance review, but it was uh, one of those kind of corporate bullshits you have to do throughout the year. So, <laughs> like, thanks for scheduling at the end of the day today when I've got to run out for a dentist appointment and have the show. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. My, my whole week has been like that so far. Is the week almost over? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, God, are we done yet? Uh, so, uh, just um, walking here. Okay. I thought we should maybe start with Pete Walker. Yes, uh, Pete is uh, only probably because I, I I really like Norman so much more. I Personally. I'm tossed up there. I couldn't really play favorites, but I do really enjoy Norman's films these days. Uh, in my younger days, I could have said, "Eh, Norman Warren, whatever." You know, he had one or two films I really liked, and the rest of them were just questionable. Uh, and I really liked Pete Walker, and I still do. I love Pete Walker, but uh, when it comes to once you get outside the, quote, sex films that he did, the early stuff, um, 
some of Pete's films, I don't know, maybe I've seen them too many times over the years or whatever, but they've got a different quality now that uh, if I just want to kick back and relax and watch a film for like just for laughs, I'd be more inclined to see Norman's films uh, or or the better yeah, part. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree there. Yeah, now that time has passed on, um, Pete Walker's movies take on a whole uh, – I mean, and this is the great thing about cinema too, you know. Uh, we, how we can rewatch things, you know, it's a very funny thing how like uh, I don't know, a spouse or or a good friend or whatever, like you're watching that again, man. Right, exactly. But it's it's yeah, we have reasons why we do this. Well, my wife, really like this. yeah, you know. Yeah, my wife but, busting like, oh, why do you have all these DVDs? You know, do you, do you really go back and rewatch them? Like, yes. <laughs> I've been doing this all my life. I have stuff that I used to watch on VHS, and that before that, yeah. before I had a real copy, I had it from like a TV rip, and you know, whatever. So, yeah, you, I, you I enjoy even, it. yeah. If we even did a show one day, like what movies we watched the most, it would be very interesting. I can but, tell you one right off: Conan the Barbarian. But <laughs> but really? Yeah, yeah, oh, right. yeah, that's like one of my favorite films ever. <laughs> wow, I like that. I like that movie. Yeah. Um, so anyway, with Pete Walker, uh, I agree with you there. Um, it's uh, interesting how you, you can watch his films now, view his movies now, right? And they just take on a whole different kind of subtext. They they just before I enjoyed them immensely, and then I yeah. enjoyed them a little bit less as as I got older and I got yeah. you know smarter. And and <laughs> now watching them for enjoyment, let's put that in quotations. I found some of them still play quite good. I mean, they're all well acted. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, both these guys, you know, they they really they did good work, you know, uh, with what they had. You know, sometimes not they didn't have the best actors. Sometimes they were you know working you know beer threads plot, uh, uh, not plot, uh, pro uh, budgets. So, right. but I don't know. I found. Pete Walker's movies, I think I refer to less nowadays. Yeah. I'm going to put that one on. There are still ones there. And I'm sure we're going to get to this movie of his. A movie I didn't like of his, I actually like now. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Um... Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll get to it as we go along. It's like I'm slowly tackled all right up front. But uh, you're correct that, you know, there are, and I still love these films, so I still will go back and watch most of them for entertainment. But there are a few that I was always kind of iffy on and that I totally detest now, like House of Whipcord. Uh, and uh. there are others that I just kind of laughed at before, like, you know, The Confessional, that I'll really enjoy now, or Die Screaming Marianne, or, or the sex films, you know, going back and seeing something like School for Sex, or, uh, you know, I like birds, and I'm like, I'm really enjoying this. This is great stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, for what it is. It's always fun. Yeah. And no, yet, you know, when I saw them back, of course, they were heavily edited, so everything was gone. But I'm like, you know, USA Up All Night used to play on Gilbert Gottfried. I was like, wow, this movie sucks. What is this? <laughs> so, you know, times change, people change. Um, so, basically, the reason that I chose to do Pete and Norman together, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, one is that, like I mentioned at the outset, they were both kind of independent outliers uh, who weren't really associated with a studio unless you count you know, Pete's own heritage films, which basically is his in-house uh, production company, so it really doesn't count. Um, 
you know, it's not like a hammer or a tie gun. Because right? British filmmaking, especially when you got into horror and cult, was dominated by those companies, uh, especially Hammer, but also Amicus and also Tygon. And also uh, there was another company that was very briefly out there. We did films like The Vulture, um, which I really like. Somebody should put that out on disc, whether UK oh, or Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, it wasn't Tyburn. It wasn't Amicus. Oh, gosh. I can't but Tyburn's that. another one, right. But, yeah, it's completely different. And it wasn't even like Charlemagne films, you know, like Christopher Lee's little company where he put out Nothing But The Night. It was it was something like that. They did a couple of movies, but, you know, who knows what the hell they were at this point. Uh, one of them actually might have been, and I don't think it was true, uh, Blood Beast Terror. I mean, it was that kind of a thing. Or, or maybe... Uh, I'm thinking of those two that, but they, I think they're actually Tygon. Uh, Island of Terror, which was the one with the mutants. And oh, Christ. right. That, that I love that one. Tygon. I think that was the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and the other one, Island of the Burning Damned. You know, that was another great one. Yeah. I think that was the same company, too. Uh, there's a lot of littler companies, but you know, the big ones were always you know dominating everything. And then you got somebody like these two, and they were just... If you're going to say, okay, who's a British director from that era? If you're not going to name, you know, like Terrence Fisher, who really was kind of in the 50s and 60s, more than the 70s. Uh, and if you're not going to say Michael Reeves, who was, you know, did three or four films, I think three films, and then died, uh, there really is nobody that comes to mind. I mean, there's a lot of oh. good British cult films at that time, but who are you thinking? There's really nobody. Well, yeah. Unless it's like Ken Russell, something like that, but, you know. Well, no, there's the usual Hammer Suspects, you know, Peter Sasby. Right, know, right. But outside of Hammer, and outside, outside of a quote art director like uh, you know, like I just yeah, mentioned, Ken Russell, uh, you know, there really wasn't anybody that first off was consistent uh, in terms of production and much less quality, and secondly, that was um, profitable and interesting enough to create their own sort of subgenres. It's like. You, when you hit the Italian directors, most of them are within a genre. Okay, they do this kind of film, they do that kind of film, and then you get a couple like that stand out, and they're the usual suspects. You know, Lindsay, Fulci, uh, D'Amato, Argento. I mean, these people are practically genres unto themselves. Uh, here's the British equivalent of this. You know, you've got these two guys. One of them only did about five films, if you count the cult films. He really did like seven or eight, uh, which is Warren. And the other one did maybe, yeah, I don't know, 15, 20 films or something like that for Pete. Uh, but, you know, there's just this one guy, and that's what you're going into this for. You're not going into this for the studio. You're not necessarily going into it for the actors because, okay, yes, you got some recurring people, Candace Glenn Denning and uh, Sheila Keith and things like that. But, you know, really, are you going in there for them? You know, is that the first thing that pops to your mind? No, it's like, oh, okay, it's a Norman Warren picture. Or, oh, okay, it's a, it's a Pete Walker picture. That's what you're well, in for. And something I wanted to add to this, we, we name-dropped Ken Russell uh, earlier. These guys had a distinct vision. These were not your usual yes. British horror movies with, uh, you know, let's say, I don't know, for lack of a better word, at the time, TNA or Graduate Score. I mean, they may have had touches of that, and sometimes they succeeded with that. But they, these two guys, I mean, and they, they were not working together. Just no. these two separate filmmakers uh, really had a vision. And in a way, they were like horrors Ken Russell because they really, they were a little off. I mean, you watch the movies today, they're a little <laughs> fucking twisted. And I, I think that's why at the time, I mean, David McGilvery, he jumped on that too. He liked he liked these guys. He actually yeah. worked with them. So both of them, yeah. Yeah, with both of them. Um so he knew um, 
there was something going on there. Why they didn't jump beyond the niche that they were working in and carve for themselves, who's to say? Yeah. Um, but uh, so that's why we're here tonight. We're we're talking about these guys, and uh, let's begin. Okay. So basically, I, like I said, you want to talk off, start off with Pete, uh, and you. I think of the two, he is. Uh, more of the man with the vision. I think that Warren, and we'll get to him later, was more into filmmaking per se, and he had some quirky ideas of how to get it out there. But even within mm. the, the couple of films that he did, it was basically a handful. Uh, there are a lot of you know jumping genres, if you will, and you know testing the waters. Okay, I think I'm going to make this kind of film, or this guy actually make that kind of film, like put my own weird twist on it, as opposed to. I think I'm going to make a statement, and it's funny because if you hear Pete Walker talk anywhere, or if you've read that great book from years ago, uh, Making Mischief, uh, that was a good one on Pete Walker. Mostly interviews, but also talked about the films themselves. And he always, like Hitchcock, makes a point of saying, oh, I would, and that's where they got the title from. I really had no message for these films. You know, I don't know what came out or whatever, but I was just there to make a buck. I was just making mischief. I was trying to, like, you know, screw up the status quo, if you will. Uh, and if you look at his He's film, alleged to have never really watched his movies. I mean, I don't know how true that is. I sincerely doubt it. I think I that's crap. Say, yeah, yeah. I have to say, uh, in my past, I was working in filmmaking for for a short time, and uh, it's all bullshit. You know, exactly. You have a you have a vision. You know, even if you're uh, what was the guy from the state, Seraphin Caralexius? He made this really cheap. Uh, martial arts horror movies, uh, sort of, sort of like really weird things. New York-based guy, and you know it, it's the same kind of thing. I make them and I never watch them. That's bullshit because you're always going to watch. You want to see how it plays with the audience. Exactly. And I don't believe Pete's attributed to saying that in a quote, and I don't believe that quote. Yeah, I, I think it's crap because anybody that watches one of his films right away, you know that he's saying something. And it's a consistent message, uh, kind of like Hitchcock had consistent, uh, consistent message to his films that was also very twisted in uh, anti-establishment and anti – in his case, anti-police and uh, no, don't trust anybody and everybody's out to get you. And the more, quote, normal and Midwestern and bucolic things seem, you know, the more they're like a Bible thumper supposedly, the more – twisted and evil and screwed up their underpinnings are, which is why he made such great use of Jimmy Stewart. And he would subvert people's images. I mean, it's not a Hitchcock show, but you, you got people like Grace Kelly where he totally subverted the way he used her compared to the way any other director used her. The same thing with Cary Grant. The same thing, especially with Jimmy Stewart. Uh, he would always take whatever their image that they were known for was that was a popular, okay, this is who they are, and he would totally like upend it and make them the opposite. And you get that same spirit with Walker. Walker was very um, anti-authoritarian, uh, very much uh, the more that they look like they're some sort of a uh, you know establishment figure, like oh look, it's the priest, it's the the cop, it's the judge, it's the lawyer, it's the you know the the good family or whatever the hell. And it turns out that they are the most twisted, dangerous, screwed up person out there. And all these like hippie kids and bikers and whatever else they're worried about. And nothing wrong with them. You know, it's like the Who said the kids are all right. Uh, and that's actually something that I found to be psychologically true in life. I mean, you just go out there sociologically, uh, and you see the people that are saying that they are the party of um, 
you know, turning back the clock and keeping things status quo and religions, beliefs, and whatever the hell else. And nine times out of ten, they're the most sinister, warmongering, hateful, uh, it's all about me, you know, racist, whatever the hell. And then they have all these weird skeletons in their closet. You know, they're the ones that wind up being the child molesters. They're the ones that wind up, you know, bombing the clinics and, you know, whatever the hell. Uh, you know, like, oh, there's a lot of things we've been sharing on I, at I level lately that just came up in the news. And it's like we run across them like, God, how many freaking are there? And it was all about cops doing dirty shit, you know, murdering their girlfriends or, you know, stealing shit or, you know, fixing things against, uh, you know, quote, perpetrators who are really just, you know, innocent people. Uh, and it wasn't a deliberate thing. It was just all in the newspapers over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's mind-boggling, but it's interesting to go back and listen to the last couple of shows over there. Um, it was the same thing here. He just found that and just like it is in reality, that people that present themselves with a certain image, eh, that's usually bullshit. You know, for one way or the other, people are selling you a line, and if you're dumb enough to buy it, then you know at, at your own risk. Um, so, just getting back to in general, uh, they also both of these guys, Pete Walker and Norman Warren, started out making sex films. Um, but before but it, not okay, not not. Sex films, sex films. Well, not, there... not, not pornos. We were talking about the late 60s, uh, maybe into the early 70s. These are, like we talked, the British slap and tickle films. Yeah. Right. When did the slap and tickle show? That's what we're talking about, confessions films, things like that. There's TNA. The whole plot revolves around you know getting somebody naked or some silly like Benny Hill-type plot, you know, whatever it is, uh, with the husband getting caught or trying not to get caught or whatever. Um and yet, you know, there's really nothing else to it. So technically, it is a sex film, but, you know, it's not a porno. Um, and then both of them wound up moving into horror films, obviously, which is how most people uh, that are into cult films get into this stuff. Uh, both of them had Dave McGillivray, like you mentioned earlier, uh, who had also done, you know, sex films and everything else, including for these guys. Um Pete was actually – he had kind of an interesting background in that uh, he was a showman from the start. And what I mean by that is his father was a um, a panto guy, a fellow named Sid Walker. And those of you who don't know what panto is, the British have these things they do all the time. It's kind of a – like when you see like a Sherlock Holmes thing that's set back in the 1800s or whatever, and they'll show you like, oh, let's go into the music hall. Or if you, those of you who are into the big finish and listen to Jago and Lightfoot, you know, Jago runs one of those kind of places. Uh, they go there. They'll have like a, a woman come out and sing bawdy songs and get the audience to sing along. They'll have comedians. They'll have strippers. They'll have a magician or a puppet show. Or you know, it's just like a kind of um, everyday. I hate to say common person, but that's kind of the word that popped in my head. Um, you know, working class sort of entertainment. Okay, instead of going and watching the idiot box back in those days, they would go to the theater. This is what this was. Uh, a lot of it also burlesque, you know, burlesque, where a lot of famous comedians started out, like, you know, Abbott Costello or the Three Stooges or whatever else. That's the same idea, uh, the Marx Brothers. Um, so this, his father was one of these guys, and his mother was not a stripper, but she was involved in one of those things. She was, I think she was a dance, uh, Corrine, a, a dance girl. Uh, so they were both in the industry. They were both showmen. And he came out of this, and originally, uh, when he, I don't know if he had decided he was going to do films or whatever, he was a stand-up guy himself, tried to do it. Uh, didn't like it, gave it up, wasn't lucrative, I'm not sure what the real story was there. Uh, and he started deciding, okay, you know what, 
there's money he heard somewhere, probably because he was in the burlesque circuit, uh, to be made in doing what they call glamour reels in those days, which, again, mm. we're not talking about porno loops, but they were, like, similar. You, you get stuff like that from something where, like, the Bucky Beaver things. It's oh, basically... Yeah, 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 girls would take their clothes off. Sometimes it was actually a strip reel, but uh, these were more like they would be in a room by themselves or something, and they'd you know move around, they'd take their clothes off, and they'd lounge around on a rug, and maybe they'd make themselves a pot of coffee or some kind of everyday thing, but they would be naked or half naked. And you know, all the punters would go, oh, yeah. Put their uh, yeah, I've seen those. They're ridiculous. Because, oh, they're hilarious. They're, uh, <laughs> they're, they're hilarious because, uh, I mean, even even when I first saw these things, it's say, mid-80s, through the trading circuit, I was like, well, these have no titillation value. No. Um, And and, and, and I'm even thinking, what what kind of value did they have back then? You know, I... But then, well, you know, somebody must have, some raincoat crowd guy, some old, uh, well, you know, yeah, 1960s well, the businessman must have really been, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we have to remember, too, the raincoat, raincoat crowd in England was different from the raincoat crowd in the U.K., uh, U.S. U.S., U.S., so, yeah. So, you know, whereas here they would be more, uh, show me more. Back then they were very contrite and very happy, pleased with that. Oh, she's oh, yeah. a pop of coffee in her bra. Yeah, yeah. They raise an eyebrow. They sweat. They push their eye, their eyeglasses back on their nose, the bridge of their nose. They pat the sweat away. I mean, you see it all the time. Actually, uh, the guy who just died, the fellow who played Mr. Rumsfeld on uh, Are You Being Served, uh, yes. Nicholas, uh, I forgot his last name. Uh, he just passed away the other day. He did that perfectly. That was his role on Are You Being Served? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they would go into his office and he'd have these dolly birds with him, you know, people like Penny Irving or whatever, that were in some of these Norman Warren and Pete Walker films. Uh, and you know they'd be running around. And basically they were there just for eye candy, kind of like Benny Hill. Skip, and he would yeah, skip sit there. Yeah, somebody would walk in on him and he would be doing that. He'd be like patting the sweat away and like, you know, almost involved in some quote naughty situation with these girls and oh oops, he caught he caught me, you know, I gotta I gotta straighten up a stiff upper lip, you know, I can't do this. I can't be seen doing this in public. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing we're talking about there. Yeah, and that's the context we have to take uh these movies in, uh, I think. You know, the the ones made by these two guys. Uh, yeah. for now. For now. Uh, <laughs> So let's see what else can we say about them. Oh, and at the very end of, or not, not the very end, but late in his career, he actually had a strange footnote where Malcolm McLaren, who was kind of the uh, impresario behind the Sex Pistols, among other things, he was also involved with uh, a very strange phase towards the end of the New York Dolls, and he had that thing with you know Buffalo Gals back in the eighties. Those of you remember that ridiculous rap hit. Um, and I think he was also involved with Adam Ant and Bow Wow Wow after that when he took right. the dance away from Adam. Uh, sure. So he was kind of known in the punk scene. And he actually hired Pete Walker. I gather, you know, Pete was like, well, I don't know why he did this. But the reality was he picked up on his anti-authoritarian streak. And he chose him to direct what was going to be a documentary on the Sex Pistols. Of course, it never happened. Uh, so yeah. that was the end of it. Um well, yeah, but Malcolm did that with so many people. Julian oh, Temple, yes. too. You know. That was another one. Um, and just you know, going way far ahead, the only film that he made that was not basically one of his own, one of his own heritage uh, independent jobs, was he did one for Golden Globus uh, for MGM, uh, which is uh, House, well, later is MGM, it was originally Golden Globus, uh, for House of Long Shadows, which was... Uh, uh, <laughs> 
We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. It, it was bad. It had it had a lot of big name horror stars in it, but it's bad. It's probably the worst thing he's done. Um, so, in terms of his films themselves, uh, let me dig through here for my, all my great notes. <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't know where you want to begin um, because there's a couple of pictures I haven't seen. Yes, people, really? there's a few things I have not seen. Oh no, well, I've seen them all. <laughs> if that matters. <laughs> But Cool It Carol, I, I always like that. It's very cheesy, very cheeky. But did you want to go back before that? Yeah, I would take it back before that. Uh, unfortunately, this is all out of order, so I'm trying to find where it starts. Um, let's see. I know he had done a couple of... Wow, this is a mess. <laughs> I think I'm missing a page. Well, yeah, like a two-year period, the, the big switch... Well, that's what I'm thinking. Of. The early ones he had done, he was doing things that were um, crime films, basically, or, or shorts originally. And he had one, I forget the name of it right now because I don't have this in front of me for some reason. And basically it was a poker game, <laughs> and that was what was going on. Uh, I think it was a big switch, yes. It was yeah. a big switch, okay. Uh, and then he did uh, Man of Violence. Uh, you have people like uh, Virginia Weatherall in it, who was in things like uh, The Jack Palace, Dracula, Curse of the Crimson Altar, Demons of Mind, Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde, Disciple of uh, Death. Oh did you really? <laughs> uh, One of those see. things. You know, like, oh, it's Virginia Weatherall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Derek Aylward was in it, who was in stuff like The Playbirds, Come Play With Me, uh, and also later his sex films. Um, let's see... Is it Nicholas Hawtrey in it who may be related to Charlie? Uh, but that's it from what little I'm seeing here, because like I said, this page is screwed up. Um, so he had done a couple of these films, and they're not bad. They're a little grotty. I know one of them was based on the Cray Brothers, who were the more notorious of the uh, the British uh, criminal uh, gangster types. Kind of like, um, not Lucky Luciano, who was the... Um, the Jewish mobster who ran Las Vegas. He actually created Las oh, Vegas. Oh, Meyer Lansky. Uh, yes. Meyer Lansky. Um, yeah. So it was that kind of idea. You know, these guys were the the big gangsters over there at the time. Uh, at probably even around the time of the Profumo scandal, though it was probably earlier than that. Um, earlier. And you know, he had done these films, and they were kind of. They're watchable. You know, they're out on DVD now. At least if you have a, a UK uh, Blu-ray type player. Uh, but are they really much to look at? No. Um, Man of Violence kind of describes it. You know, that's what it is. This guy, guy is going around and dealing with these mobsters, and you know, people are kicking each other's asses, and this is, you know, there's like knife uh, threats and whatever else. Typical. Well, that, yeah. Rant. Well, that's that's one I think that touches on the the criminal element in England. And, right. As and and the you know the whole stripper thing, the girly thing. So I think that's what he was trying to do there. Although it doesn't really work, it didn't work for me. But yeah, yeah so I mean it's it's watchable, but it's not that great unless you're really really into low red British mobster films. Um, he, well, there you go. Uh, but then I don't know if this was yeah, it actually was pretty early on. These things are bouncing around. I don't know why this list is so screwed up. Uh, he did For Men Only, which was pretty damn early. I think it was his first sex film. Uh, yeah. It's only about 48 minutes or something like that. It is out on DVD, those of you who are into, uh, like I said, the all-region players. I enjoyed the hell out of this one, but 
like I said, it is a short. Uh, Derek Air was in it. He would recur in these films. Uh, all of the sex films, basically, for Walker it had Derek Airwood in it. And I remember he said some kind of comment to the effect like, oh, he had that sort of like uh, decadent, you know, faded class, gone seedy uh, sort of demeanor to him. And he does. So he actually does fit in this stuff. Um, David Kernan's in it, who was in stuff like Zulu, The Education of Sonny Carson, Carry On Abroad. Andrea Allen was in Old Dracula and Spanish Fly, uh, which is the one with Terry Thomas, actually, not... Uh, uh, and Benny Hill, um, a fellow named Tom Gill, who was in Blood Beast from Outer Space and Smashing Time. Uh, there's not a lot to differentiate this one from the next one that he did, which was more full-length, which is School for Sex. Uh, mm. The idea with both of these, basically, as I recall, and this is going back, uh, is that somebody there, whether it's a, a school mom or whatever, the, the guy goes and he lo- one of them, he loses his job. I think this might be school for sex. And his wife is like harassing to find a new job. So he goes out, he goes to this proper almost like a Catholic school sort of vicarage type thing. Uh, oh yes, the Lord, whatever, we'll see you now. And he's like, you know, trying his best to be all posh. And he goes there and he finds out that the job is basically to uh, I don't know if it's pro- procurement or to keep the punters away while they have this service in the back where all these you know girls go there and you know rich uh, gentlemen can go there during the day and say that they did a job and get away from their wives and hang around with all these dolly birds in states of undress uh, <laughs> and that's the whole plot really until like you know his girlfriend and wife catches him uh, and you know of course the whole scam gets uh, falls apart. Uh, really, you're watching it because there's a lot of pretty girls in these things, which there are, especially if you're into like British Jolly Birds of the period. Uh, and they're just silly. I mean, there, there's no depth to them. There's nothing being said. They're just fun. Uh, well, he, again, hasn't found, he hasn't found his niche yet. He hasn't found his stride. Yes. And, uh, you know, I Like Birds also comes over as uh, For Men Only. I think that's actually the way they released it on DVD. Uh, that was the, I guess, the safer title they used. Or uh, maybe the other way around, maybe they decided somebody was too stupid to figure out, oh, birds is a term for, like, you know, a girl. So they thought it was like a bird-watching thing. So they all get the hot girls for men only, fine. Uh, and let's see. In School for Sex, actually, has uh, Francois Pascal in it, who's in stuff like Roland, when we talked to Jean Roland, the French films, Iron Rose. Uh, he's, she was in Keep It Up Downstairs with the Slap and Tickles. She was in Who Done It with John Pertwee, the, the TV series. Uh, and there's a girl in my scoop, uh, a soup rather, which was the um, uh, what's his name, Peter Sellers movie. Uh, and then the Peter Cushing Bloodsuckers. Uh, Nicola Steen was in this, who pops up in a lot of Slap and Tickle films. Permissive, Bizarre, What's Up, Super Doc, Come Play with Me, Queen of the Blues, Adventures of a Private Eye, and Old Dracula once again. Um, there's really not much else to say about these other than that. Like I said, there are loads of fun. There's always a little bit of a caper involved. At some point, there's got to be a chase scene almost like right out of uh, Max Senate practically. Uh, and, you know, like I said, you got all these pretty girls running around, and it's just kind of a lark. Uh, if you're looking for something deep, if you're looking for something to show your girlfriend, these films aren't it. But if you're just looking for some mild entertainment on an afternoon or something, there you go. <laughs> Is there anything you want to say about them before we... Yeah, no, it's... Yeah. Okay. So after this, he did something called that I have not seen called the Pornograph von Schweden. God knows what the hell this is. I, I, it I it had Derek Edwards in it again, Andrew Allen's in it again, David Kernan's in it again, but I have no idea what it is. 
and then he did the film that you had mentioned, which was uh, Cool It Carol, which is the title mm-hmm. I know it by. But apparently uh, one of the titles they had for it was The Dirtiest Girl I Ever Met. Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of grim. Uh, what you have is, and I think it was actually his first, if not his first film per se, then definitely his first um I, I would not call it a slap and tickle film, but his first quote sex film in, in that terms. Well, uh, well I, th- I think we could address it as his first, his first uh, thematic film. His first, you know, you know, start to end. It's it's first thing he actually, I think, you know, besides these other things we discussed, the first thing he probably designed as a movie. Yeah. Well, not even talking about Walker. I'm talking about. Uh, I'm leading up to actually, Robin Asquith. Because this yes. was before the Confessions films, uh, yeah. before Horror Hospital, before, I believe, Tower of Evil. So, again, yes. I'm not sure if it was his first film per se or if it's just his first, quote, sex film. Um, but, you know, Asquith is somebody that I always liked. I mean, I liked him in the cult horror films. I loved him in Confessions. Uh, he's just got that kind of jovial... Um, Laddish, but not in a sleazy way. Kind of like you want to, oh yeah, well, let's take care of him. You know, the the clumsy younger brother kind of vibe. And you know, those of you who are into the Stones, he looks like a cross between Brian Jones and Mick Jagger. <laughs> yes, you uh, ah, you, you nailed it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. He looks like a cross between Brian Jones and Mick Jagger. So bizarre. I'm always surprised that that Robin never made it into a band because you know back in those days. <laughs> True. No, well, back in those days, they they had it was the looks number one, and then you know for the lesser bands, talent. Well, he did two. have he did have his little turn in Confessions of a Pop Performer. <laughs> Remember on the drums? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He probably he probably could sing marginally. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, those the guys that don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> I, I think I, I I I pick up on what you're saying about this movie because yeah, basically it's about this young couple leave kind of like the uh yeah they they leave basically he is the quote more experienced one if you want to call right. it that or she plays that way like oh yeah I, I go to london all the time and she is kind of like this country bumpkin that just and you know having been in a small town in my younger years i know what it's like you just gotta get the frick out of there it just you can't take this anymore it sucks uh there's nothing going on everybody knows each other's business it's like oh come on really there's got to be more to life than this and she's just desperate to get out and make something of herself. So he's like, oh, yeah, come on, come along with me, you know, and basically figuring that he's going to get lucky, which he did. Uh, and she goes along with him, and then when they get there, they discover that, because, you know, oh, yeah, I know friends in London, they'll, they'll give me a job, no problem. And, of course, it's all just bullshit promises, like you'll find with a lot of people in life, especially when everybody involved is young. You know, everybody just talks a lot and has nothing to back it up. So he winds up out there, and like, oh, what are we going to do? And I forget how it started initially, but at some point they say, well, you know, why don't you have your girlfriend go and sell it for you? you know? <laughs> uh, so I don't know how she even goes for this, but eventually she winds up selling pussy and not on the streets, but as kind of like a, an escort call girl type thing where she'll go to this place and they'll have a special party and all these you know, young or old men come in and whatever. Oh, f- will you pour the coffee for me, dear? And and that's what happens. It, gradually he starts, in the beginning he seems like he's the, the big whatever, the gun in charge. Here's another way, it's Walker Subversive. In the beginning he's like the, the uh, whatever that she looks up to and he's in charge and whatever else. 
and he's leading the way. And, of course, he's got a gambling addiction, so he flushes all the money they do make down the toilet. Uh, and as you go on, he becomes more and more pathetic, and it becomes kind of like um, Blaugast. Uh, those of you who uh, are into the general decadence have read that on Third Eye, uh, Paul Lepon, uh take a look at that story, and that's what this is. Or, to an extent, not to the same degree, uh, Sakur Masak, same idea. He goes from being, you know, whatever, to being this powerless, pathetic loser, to the point where that scene that I mentioned earlier, he's sitting there, and these guys that are basically screwing his girlfriend for cash – are tell him, uh, first, and they, t- they talk him down, like he's, oh, he's supposed to get so much money, and they give him less. And like, oh, what are you going to do about it? And he's like, okay, well, you, you're sitting here. Make us, make us a nice pot of tea, will you? And he has to go and like, fetch the tea and stuff while his girlfriend's making the money in the other room. Uh, it's really dark. It's not a fun film. And it's I, too long. I always thought yeah. it was too long. Yeah, People talk to it. People talk about this film like it's fantastic. Oh, yeah, it's one of his great films, one of the better sex films. It's horrible. But it's saved by the fact that Rob Nesquist in it, and he's always likable. And the girl, Janet Lynch, is rather pretty. She was in uh, in The Devil's Garden and Twins of Evil. Um, there's a couple of the people that you might recognize. The other girl was in it again. Uh, Claire Gordon from Beat Girl and Conga. Uh, Stubby K, the comedian, shows up in there. Nicola Steen shows up again from the sex films. Jess Conrad, who was in Conga, the Assassination Bureau with Oliver Reed, which is terrible, by the way. Uh, and also, actually, not just Oliver Reed, but Terry Savalas and Diana Rigg. I, I got that movie. It's like, oh, wow, this is going to be great. Great cast. <laughs> Horrible. Uh, but anyway, it's got a decent cast. It looks, you know, okay, it's grotty. We're talking about British film from the 70s. Everything is shot in this kind of dark, depressing uh it's hard to describe it. You know, everybody talks about how horrible Britain was under Thatcher, but it was pretty damn dark under labor in the seventies too. Uh, and you can see it in these films. It just the, the, the atmosphere is like, ugh, really? Uh, well, the same thing carries carries over to to his next picture too. Yes. So anyway, uh, if you are going in to see Cool Carol, do it because you like to ask with. Do it because you're a Pete Walker completist. Don't do it because somebody told you it was good on the net. It's a horrible film. And it'll depress the shit out of you. (laughs) Uh, So after this, he does... uh, Did we go right to Four Dimension of Greta after that? Uh, I got the impression there's something else in between. Uh, Because, again, this list is really screwed up. Uh, Yeah, Dice Screaming Marianne. Uh, No, that... Well, yeah, you're right. That was after... Okay, so uh, Dice Cream Marianne is next. This one is what most cult film people that aren't looking for the sex films say, okay, this is when his career started. You know, for years I've always heard that was his first film. Not true, obviously. Uh, and some of these films are rather entertaining, like we had mentioned. Uh, but in, if you're going for his more – this one is sort of Jalo-esque in a weird way, but not really. Uh, and it's been marketed as such. It's more of kind of a – not even a mystery, more like a uh, inheritance murder type thing. And uh, well, how would you describe this film just in general? You, you, know, you see, what I'm trying to get at here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a melodrama. Yeah. Uh, there's like the cult of Susan George. My God, you know, I love Susan George. I'm one of those people. I'm actually one of the earliest ones, and that's why I got into the movie in the first place. I remember watching it on TV back when. Uh, but we'll get into that. I just started find a word to describe this thing and it's like it's well, not a giallo it's no. not a thriller it's no. it's 
And it, it's not really it's, a mystery, but it's the hell yeah. is it? It's not really a it's, horror film. It's it's like it's, a Hitchcock it's, film in a weird way. Uh, it's something that's probably elements of all these things. Uh, yeah. Um, the the one that probably is akin to this is actually a couple of years earlier, 1963. Is that Anita Eckberg movie? You remember that one? You know oh, Screaming Mimi? Screaming Mimi. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a very, it's a, there's a similarity between Screaming Mimi and, and Dice Screaming Marianne. And maybe and it's... Uh, I will, you know, again, shove it to the critics because I was oh, Screaming Mimi, Screaming Mimi. I didn't like Screaming Mimi. I thought Dice Screaming Marianne, as messy as it is, and it's kind of a hatchet job. You could tell the editing was kind of a wreck. Uh, I don't know yeah. what the reason behind that was, if they lost film or if it was just they ran out of money or they just kind of threw together a bunch of disparate ideas and let it stand. But I liked Ice Cream Marianne. I always liked it a lot. And yeah, it's not a horror film. Man. No. Um, again, though, I am a Susan George fan. I have like a good portion of everything she had done throughout the 70s. Uh, not so much in the 80s. She was already turned into a kind of housefrau. But in the 70s, it was like, yeah, if, it's, if Susan George is in it, chances are I have it. And, you know, and yes, I do know the stories about her. I heard she was a real bitch, but hey, you know, I've never met her, so I can't say. Uh, uh, Barry Evans is in it. Um, Judy Huxtable. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead with Barry Evans. No, Barry Evans would turn up a lot of the the, uh, carry-on wannabes. Yes, yes. Uh, that's why I figured you were going. I said, like, okay, let you go there. Um, Judy Huxtable's in this, who was in Scream and Scream Again, that uh, awful Vincent Price film from the early no, 70s. No, it's not awful. It's not you awful. like it? You like that I film? I didn't say I like it. It's not awful. Oh, the faux Frankenstein, if you will. Oh, that stupid film. <laughs> Never liked that one. Again, maybe it's been a lot of years. Maybe I will sit there and watch it again and get a different impression of it, but I doubt it because I've seen it a couple times and I was like, ah, this film just blows. <laughs> and again, another one everybody loves. Oh, yes, wonderful film. Please don't listen to critics. <laughs> Figure out for yourself. Read the description. See, okay, this is going to appeal to me. Try to find a trailer and pray that you still didn't get screwed. <laughs> That's basically all you can do. Uh, just general advice for films. Uh, Leo Gann is in this. I love him. He was in uh, stuff like The Bloody Judge, Loser in a Woman's Skin, Death Ray of Dr. Mabuza. He's sort of like uh, Michael Gow-esque, you know, this older authority figure uh, who you could tell wasn't really as crusty as he portrays all the time. Uh, I could picture him kind of laying back with a drink and a laugh and probably has a few CD stories for you. Uh, but in these films, they always cast him as something like, in this case, a judge. Um, who else is in this? Anybody? No, not really. Uh, Anthony Sharp's in it, who was in stuff like Clockwork Orange, Never Say Never Again, which, by the way, I apologize to the Bond people. We said we were going to discuss it. That is the one Bond film we forgot about because it wasn't canon. It was a remake of the Thunder, Thunderball from uh, 1984. Well, uh, actually, no, there were, there were two, actually, we didn't discuss in that show. And the other one was the made-for-TV Casino Royale with Barry Nelson. And people oh, wow. Were, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, we totally missed that. Um, yeah, we're sorry. And actually, Bob, we're on sorry's when we did the Baba show last week. Yes. We totally, because we went over, folks. <laughs> um, we forgot Baba's last film, which was the made-for-TV movie with Darren. Oh, was that the uh, Venus of uh, whatever it was? Yeah, Venus. Yeah. 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 
I've never seen that one, but you're right. That was kind of. Like I haven't. Yeah, I have it in two different versions. Uh, but we we didn't discuss them because we forgot about them. We just discuss, didn't discuss them because still, sometimes time constraints. Because yeah, we this is a really happy-go-lucky, lengthy conversation, <laughs> and we try we try we try we we tackle a lot, and sometimes we we, yeah. we chew more than we can eat. That's so, what happens. My wife was yeah. like, you, know, you end up talking so fast, and you try to talk over. I was like, no, no, I'm trying to move things along for the clock because yeah. both of us are kind of dragging our asses. And, you know, I want to keep it moving but still, okay, have as much of an equal partnership as we can here and get as much as we well, can. Well, yeah, there are things we want to make sure we want to say if we have exactly. something we want to so. say about something. So, um, so if it comes off that way, that's what it is, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So one day we'll get to it. Uh, so anyway... After, unless you had something else you want to say about this, it's it basically, I don't want to give away the plot at all, but it's sort of an um, inheritance mystery is the best way to put it. Uh, and there are some twists and turns that you might not expect. Uh, I actually found Judy Huxtable also rather attractive in a way, even though she's a little more harsh. Um, and, you know, it's it's got a nice setting. You know, there's kind of this mountainside estate, and they've got these rotting wells and everything else there. Uh I always liked it, and I still like it. So uh, I know people, for some reason, have issues with it. You know, probably because of the editing, probably because of Susan George. Who knows? But uh, and what were you going to say about the cult of Susan George before I interrupted you there? Oh, <laughs> it's no, no. you don't have a thing for. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah I've, I've always met pe- encountered people in my life. Susan George. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was uh, actually uh, uh, well regarded. Uh, film critic who was a very good friend of mine and he disappeared out of my life named David Bartholomew. He used to write for Cine Fantastic. Remember that magazine? Yes, I do. And uh, he, he wrote some big major articles for them. He was a huge Susan George fan. Yeah. So I mean, uh, A lot of people tried to turn me out to Susan, but just like, nah, nah, skank. Well, you know. you, <laughs> there's a couple of things involved when you're attracting somebody or not. One is aesthetics. You know, are they the type that you're into? Because some people are into, and we won't get their individual things. But you, know, you get people that are into Asian girls. You get people that are into French girls. You get people that are into blondes. You get people that are into redheads. You get people that are into whatever. Nerdy you know, girls, nerdy girls, yeah. thick, thin girls, nerdy girls, skanks. You know, whatever. And you know, well, among George never did it for me, man. Well, there you go. So, I always liked her party, her pouty Bordeaux lips. I, you know, I used to have a thing for blondes, and it still kind of carries over with a few of them, not many, because uh, most times I don't even look at them. But when I see somebody like Susan George, I'm like, okay, I can see where I was into that, and I still kind of am. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. But you know, yeah, it it always comes down to individual taste. <laughs> Uh, and like I said, I had heard stories consistently that she was uh, not the most wonderful person in the world. Like I said before, I was her she's a bitch. Uh, <laughs> so who knows what's reality here. But uh, so uh, then he moves on to do the four dimensions of Greta. I have never seen this film. I always wanted to. Uh, it's, have... prob- it's his last sex film as far as I know. Uh, Robin Asquith's in it again. Lena Skoog is in it. Uh, just from her name, it's like, oh, Lena Skoog, but she's never in anything. I never, I don't know if she's in anything else in history, but damn it, she's in this film. 
And Felicity Devonshire's in it, who's in stuff like, uh, again, we're talking Ken Russell, Listomania. <laughs> she was in Annie, of all things. Uh, Intimate Games, Queen Kong. Uh, we talked about those two during the uh, Slap and Tickle thing. Yeah. Sneakers of a Door-to-Door Salesman, there's another one. Uh, Jane Cardew, who was in Suburban Wives and Naughty, again, from the Slap and Tickles, and Demons of the Mind from a Hammer Show. Uh, and Minor Bird, there was a pretty black girl that was going around at the time who went by the name yeah. Minor Bird, and she was in stuff like the Love Box, the Stud, and Old Dracula, so she's in this, too. Uh, Richard O'Brien's in this. I doubt it's the same one that was in uh, Rocky Horror, but who knows? <laughs> Is there's the Balding Hippie? And of course, Pete stars himself for a second. Uh, Ivor Salter, you might recognize that name. Um, but, you know, again, I have not seen the film, so I cannot comment on it at all, except to say that it was uh, a 3D sex film. Uh, and again, we're not talking porn, we're talking slap and tickle, but uh, there you go. Um, do you have any comments since I, you had seen it? Yeah, I have seen this. Uh, it's it's a uh, I got a I got a I got a tape from the UK. God knows what happened to it over the years. Um, I enjoyed it. It was charming. It was yeah, eh, you know, it, it left not much of a <sighs> impression on me. Um, <laughs> Even with four dimensions? <laughs> well, it was no, it was the flat version. And I think one of the problems was the uh, you could see like if you saw a flat version of Treasure of the Foreground, you know. It was, yes. It was, yeah. It was made to be viewed 3D, and so uh, they did know. put it out recently on a one of those crappy like four packs or something. And I got it specifically for that because I was looking for that film since I saw it in the theater as a kid, and it's holds up in a way, because it's still a weird film with Tony Anthony in it, those of you who like the Stranger films, uh, but you know, it's made to be 3D and it's not, so it's like something's missing here, you can see them sticking a pole at you, you can see the snakes jumping out at you, you can see the the laser beams and the, the skulls flying at you, the flaming skulls but it's not the same thing when you don't have the 3D effect, so yeah, that's exactly what you're talking about there so uh all right, so, I mean, after this, he goes on to do The Flesh and Blood Show, which is another one I really always liked. Um, probably not as much as Dice Green Marianne, but uh, once again, you've got Robin Asquith. He's stuck with him for a while. Uh, Luann Peters, who was in Big Boobs, uh, Blonde Girl, who was in films like Landed a Minotaur, Twins of Evil. She was in Mixed Blessings, uh, the TV show. Everybody who knows the Britcoms. Uh, and Faulty Towers, um, who done it, I mentioned before. Uh, old Dracula, Lust for a Vampire. Jenny Hanley's in it, uh, Hammer Girls, and stuff like uh, Scars of Dracula. She was in Our, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. We talked about with the Bond films. She was on an episode of Zodiac. Um, who else was in this damn thing? Uh, Kleineskin, uh, excuse me, Kleineskin Dennings in this uh, from Tower of Evil, uh, Flesh and Blood Show. She was in an episode of Blake 7. Judy Matheson's in this from uh, Confessions of a Window Cleaner. Crucible of Terror, Twins of Evil, Lust for a Vampire. Jane Cardew's in it again. Oh, uh, we go through the whole cast. This would be a three-hour show. <laughs> no, it's like these are people that you may know if you know these other cult yeah, films. So uh, it's basically a whodunit sort of thing, Agatha Christie-esque, set on an old pier. Uh, and you know, I like this. Yeah. In England, they have a lot of things associated with the pier. They they tend to have, like, carnivals and things like that there, what they call ghost trains, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, they call them fun fairs. They call them fun fairs. Yeah, and they had, like, the, the peep show reels and all that kind of crap where you would crank it out there. It, it's It's really kind of sort of like a boardwalk scene you know, on this country, but 
even uh, not even seedier. It's just got more years to it, and it uh, attracts a bigger crowd than just like you know horny teenagers. Uh, there's a lot of like old folks and kids and anything in between, you know, criminal elements, whatever. And uh, it's abandoned because it's like kind of winter time, and this cast goes down there to uh, do a theatrical. I don't know if they're putting on the whole production there, if they're just using it for rehearsals. Uh, and they do this in this disused theater, and there is a family nearby, you know, the older folks who were used to be theatrical types, and then the murders start happening. Uh, again, this was shot in 3D, but it doesn't matter. Uh, rarely for a 3D film, it holds up just as well as a 2D picture. Uh, and again, like you said, it's a really fun film. Did I like it as much as I screamed, Marianne? No, it's not as sunny. It's not as – and that's what made that incongruous. It's like, okay, it's all sunny and bright, and yet it's script, kind of like Tenebri in a sense for Argento, uh, whereas this is more of the expected, oh, look, we got a spook house atmosphere. Here's an, here's an old abandoned whatever, and here was going to get killed off. It was like a slasher film. And you could say that there is elements of a slasher film to this as well. But, you know, it's fun. There's pretty girls in it. Um you know, some of them get naked. Uh, <laughs> there's like weird things like somebody wanders out there pissed off or drunk or something and they go out in the pier and there's some old man sitting there in a raincoat and they go over to talk to him and then he's gone and then there's a murder. So it's really kind of uh, horror film tropes that uh, Walker would go to, but it works. Uh, so is there anything you want to say about this one? I really like this movie. Uh, it, it's uh, probably... <sighs> I have to say one of my favorite Pete Walker films. It's 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 got this. It doesn't have a, a, an atmosphere of merriment or joviality. It, it actually no. has an atmosphere of dread. And uh, you know, you know, some of the weird shit that's in Al Adamson's Dracula versus Frankenstein. Some of that very oppressive carnival atmosphere. Yeah, some of that's in here too. You know, it's it's, it's more very, so. Strange, yeah, and I think it's, very, it's actually ramped up for that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's very, very few movies that are in this milieu that kind of work, uh, like Suave Stage Fright, you know. Uh, yes. Is another one, um, and, and it's it's almost akin to this. I I like it. I I think it's it's not Italian, but it's, you know maybe Proto Giallo. Uh, it's it's very interesting stuff going on here. It's it's downbeat. It's a little vicious. It's gory. There's TNA for the luscious, lovely, fleshy British girls. <laughs> yeah, but, they really are. Um, yeah, they are. Um, but it's for some reason uh, this. This also seems to point the way for Pete Walker's next batch of movies, which yes. gets progressively more darker. Well, I don't know progressively, but yeah, you're right. Uh, and uh, we'll say about you, you had compared it to uh, Suave Stage Fright. And thinking about that, I'm like, no, I like this one better than Stage Fright. Not for the staging. Not for the, the way that Suave filmed it. Not even for people like David Brandon that were in that film. Uh, Barbara Capisti and things like that. But the atmosphere with Stage Fright, okay, the door was locked. But basically, you saw when they got out for a little bit, and the cops were out there. But then, you know, the whole deal—you won't get in a stage fright. But you know, it was right there on the street. All they needed to do was get through that fucking steel door, and they were safe. And they were out in public. Whereas here, they were out on this abandoned pier. Nobody is in this damn resort town in the middle yeah. of winter. So it was out on the beach. 
I mean, it felt very, very isolated and abandoned and in that respect. Plus, it was an older place. So there's all kinds of like, right. oh, look, we found the basement. Right. Look, we found the attic. It was much, much more effective atmospherically, aesthetically. And it was I, much more effective. And I think coincidentally, this probably influenced Norman Warren's Bloody New Year. Which we'll yes. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll definitely bet on that one. Uh, so then there's another one which... Again, I think I saw it when I was a kid. I have never seen it since. I understand there's a reason for this. I don't know if it's true. Some people say it's a rumor. 1973, he does Tiffany Jones with yeah, the lovely, lovely. You have it? Oh, i got to get it, it off. The lovely Anushka Hempel. Uh, she was in Scars of Draco. She was in Our Majesty Secret Service. But where I really know her from is Zodiac. This woman is Dunning. She's got a winning personality. Uh, also, who done it with uh, John Pertwee? She was a regular on there with Patrick Moore. Lovely, lovely woman. Uh, I am not surprised that she wound up, uh, you know, making her way into the echelons of uh, the, the rich, if you will, uh, doing her hotel management and such in later life. But I understand, just you know, on the basis of her looks, because you know she get whatever else she wanted. Uh, I understand that. The reason that we cannot see this fucking film today uh, is because she held the rights to it because she was embarrassed because, like Black Snake, which is uh, a rarely seen, but it is out on DVD, um, which is a Russ Meyer film, and I didn't like mm-hmm. that one. She actually has, you know, a scene where her top is off or whatever, you can see her nude, and this is an embarrassment to her. So therefore, the rumor was always that she had bought the rights to it and kind of like buried it. Now it may be like that Bill Cosby Little Rascals thing where it's a little crap, but nonetheless, where is the damn film? So, but isn't Anuska in the Rascals Vampires? Correct? Uh, no, that is not her. That is somebody else. Uh, that oh. was you're right. That is somebody named Anuska, but it's not her. Uh, okay, okay. That was. I have to look into that now. I'm thinking about it because you're right. It didn't look like her, uh, and in that case, that makes no sense because she was naked in that damn thing. Yeah, because yeah, uh, I'm listening to you. I'm like, what? No, that's the story. That was always the story. Uh, well, why we can't see the film? In any case, I had I got a copy of a guy uh, from a guy in the UK. I was dying to see this, and it's a very cheap, modesty blaze type of thing. Um, I hate that fucking Joseph Boozy movie. <laughs> so <laughs> it no, so disappointing. Yeah, yeah. But this is like very low budget. And 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 Tiffany has uh she's surrounded by fate men who are uh, like her assistants, uh like her photographer, because she's like a a swinging sixties uh, go getter, jet setter, and spy. And there's this, like this Asian. Well, he's a British guy, supposedly Asian. Right. Really bad, you know, like 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 the. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, oh, and you know, just to interrupt for a second, I knew you were crazy about vampires. It is not a Nushka, but we were close, and that's where you threw me. Anolka. Her name was Anolka Jubinska. And uh, I get the impression she might have been in a Spanish horror or two, but I'm not positive about that. But that's who it was. She does okay. kind of look like her, though. So, uh, and she names in the look. Like yeah, yeah, physically, yeah. too. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's a pretty bad movie. Um, it's it's light, it's fluffy, it's comedic. Um, I believe what you said, but I think it did come out on 
uh, UK and on VHS. Really? Whatever. Oh, VHS. Yes, you were right. It was on VHS, and that's never since. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you have a copy, I definitely want to see it because I'm a huge fan of hers. Plus, I'm a huge fan of Pete Walker. I mean, a copy of the copy. <laughs> <laughs> so then he goes on to do what a lot of people say. Oh, yes, this is a great film. You ever see a Pete Walker film? You must see this one. <sighs> do yourself a favor and don't. Uh, <laughs> House of Whipcord. Uh, David McGilvery wrote it. Uh, Anne Michelle, who was in stuff like you know Virgin Witch, Hello, Hello, she was in that for a long time. Uh, the Coup Stark, Justine, Young Lady Chatterley, uh, Eva Salters, and again Penny Irving, who was in Are You Being Served, Carry On Dick. I don't know if anybody remembers this. There was a great TV movie from the seventies that really just get released with Robert Culp called Spectre. It was a pilot for a yeah. TV yeah. show. Fantastic. That has one of the best TV movies I've ever seen, and still not on disc. Uh, she was in that. Uh, and Tiffany Jones, she was in Old Dracula. You know, and actually McGilvery shows up in it himself as an uncredited uh, cameo type thing. Sheila Keith's in it. I think this is the first Sheila Keith film. Uh, it's grim. Uh, it's I guess if you're into women in prison films, you might be a little bit more inclined. But I watch a lot of women in prison films, and they're not this fucking depressing. It's really dark. Uh, basically, the general idea is that these old crackpot, you know, like a, a Margaret Thatcher analog, but it might have been before Thatcher, um, really has an issue with morality and all these young, loose women, they're destroying morality and it's anti-Christian or whatever the hell. So what she does is she finds this old judge, I don't know if it's her husband or just her partner or whatever. He's going like basically blind. He doesn't even know what the hell's going on anymore. It's like senile. Uh, but she uses him as if he's the bad guy and kidnaps. She has people going around like thugs or maybe her son or her husband, I forget. And kidnaps all these pretty dolly birds from parties and stuff. You know, it's basically an entrapment thing. Like, oh, yeah, how you doing? Yeah, you're a pretty girl. Oh, come on, have a drink. And then he drugs them, and then he brings them back to this place. They wake up. All of a sudden, they're in a prison shift. Oh, yes, you think you're so fancy with all your pretty girl makeup. And, all. and basically, they get whipped and tortured and more psychological than physical. Uh, yes. They get left in these prison conditions. Oh, you won't get any food tonight. See how you like that. And you know, here's a Bible so you get to read. And all that. And then they go on trial for the judge, and sometimes they try to escape, and then they get killed. It is the most depressing fucking film I have seen in my entire life. No Ouch. exaggeration. No exaggeration. I Even hate this film. <laughs> oh, I like the Beast in Heat. I hate this film with a passion. It is, you know, I got it on DVD because it was like, okay, well, it's Pete Walker film. Let me try it again after all these years. And it's like, you know, now it's like, well, it's part of the collection. I'm not going to get rid of it, but it would be the first thing to go. I hate this film. I watched it once. I'm probably never going to watch it again since then. Uh, it is just nasty. But everything's just fantastic, probably because it's got this message underneath, you know, making fun of Bible thumpers and, you know, fake moralists. Uh, but all his films say that. So why this one in particular? This one is awful. It's grotty. It's nasty. It's mean-spirited. It's misogynist. It's a uh, horrible film. Uh, but people love it. So what's your take on it? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I probably has been fascinated over the years. Perry McGilvery himself and, and tons, tons of people. Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, Phil Hardy. Yeah, people would say so many positive things about this movie until the point, yeah, up until I saw it. Yeah. So I was like looking forward to an interesting viewing. 
and I, I, I really disliked it. I, I yes, the uh, poor me one. I, <laughs> I, I uh, after this film, <laughs> you need a couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the misogyny is there, I, but you know what's more twisted about it? And it turns up in a couple of other films by Walker. Is is it's it's a woman that's doing yeah. the the things to, to these other young girls, and she's yeah. twisted by her religious, weird religious beliefs, uh, or twisted religious beliefs. Well, actually, it's not her religious beliefs are twisted. It's just like, she's kind of insane already, so she's all messed right. up. So she's confusing what she read as far as her religious doctrine with with, with what's going on. And she's already damaged. And, and yeah, and the other guy's damaged. And, you know, these girls are stuck there. And, you know, it's about they're trying to get out, of course get recaptured. And the movie has a really, really freaking depressing ending. Yep. Um, there is no way out. And there's a lot of Walker films, I'll say that. Uh, yeah. He had this kind of dark bent and bleakness. I think Warren did it as well, now that I think about it. Uh, but that was kind of part of British cinema at that time. Uh, and maybe, yeah. you know, b- the experience of being in Britain at that time is from what I pick up. Um but, but yeah, it gets I mean, worse, it's, folks. <laughs> well, I don't know about that because for me that's the worst. Uh, but uh, he does Frightmare after this, which was also strangely known as Cover Up. I've never seen it under that title or heard that even referred to except for an IMDb. But uh, McGovery wrote this one again. Uh, I always kind of like this one, but it's dark. It's really dark. Uh, Rupert Davies, who was in Dracula's Risen from the Grave, What's Trying to General, the album Box. Uh, Sheila Keith's in it again. Deborah Fairfax, pretty girl that really didn't do much. She was in one episode of Zodiac. Uh, Paul Greenwood, who was in Captain Kronos. Kim Butcher, very pretty girl. Uh, again, really didn't do anything. Uh, Fiona Curzon, who was in Love and a Spend Illusion and Queen Kong. Uh, Manuel from Faulty Towers in this fucking thing. Andrew Sachs. Uh, Leo Gen shows up again. Uh, McGilvery and Wicker both pop up as uh, you know, bit parts. Basically, this one... The it's a family one now. Okay, we've already screwed with religion. We've already screwed with you know other authority figures because I won't get into the whole deal with the flesh and blood show. You'll know it when you see it. Uh, now let's screw with the family. And in this case, here's this nice old couple, and they got these two sweet daughters, and you know the one's kind of like a rebel, and she's going out hanging out with bikers and going to rock clubs all night and whatever the hell, and having a good life. And the other one's more like you know the older sister type, and oh yeah, you shouldn't be doing this. And she's going and getting you know meat packages for the family and helping them cook, and you know she's the more responsible one or whatever. And the father's kind of doddering but sweet, and the mother's like, you know, a little kind of wacky, but whatever. And she reads tarot cards for people. That's her big, you know, that's her income, I guess. You know, it's like a hobby. And it turns, and it totally gets subverted upside down, like I said, like a Hitchcock kind of a thing. And I don't want to get into it for those who have not seen it, because there's a lot of neat little surprises in there of how things turn out. But it involves people getting hacked up uh, in torturous ways. Uh, And, you know, that's really all I can say about it without giving anything away. I always enjoyed it, uh, but it is very dark. And I was actually surprised the last time I had watched it. I watched it with my wife around the time DVD came out. And I was like, oh, yeah, you should check this one out. You know, basically she liked British horrors, whatever, at least Pete Walker films at the time. She was enjoying the ones I showed her. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is always one of my favorites. And she was kind of freaked out by it. (laughs) And I can see why. 
it's it's uh, it's twisted. So uh, I'll let you go ahead. You got anything you want to say here with this one? It's another one I didn't like. Uh, I think I saw this before I saw the previous film we discussed. And, yes. Uh, I. Yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about this movie without giving anything without giving it away. Yeah. Are, yeah, there's a lot of. He has quite a few. Um, chocolate Yeah, several. yeah, several. yeah. Several. He's got several little things going on here. Um, somebody's behaving not in the manner you think they are, and then uh, yep. things change, and then uh, And there's the whole thing about family inheritance, things getting passed on, and yeah, it's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Psychologically as well as monetarily. Um, did I like it? Uh, Probably a little bit better than House of Whipcord. I still think that it it, it has a very dark, dark. Oh yeah, it's like blood pudding. I can't stand blood pudding, but you know, this <laughs> it's like I could probably maybe taste a little. Bit, you know? So then he does. He kind of sticks in the same format, like you were mentioning, Rick. Several films here. He does the confessional again. McGovery does it. Uh, Anthony Sharp's in it again. Uh, oh, actually, not again, but he was in stuff like Clockwork Orange, Never Say Never Again. Georgia Milvard, remember the Roper's spinoff from Men About the House uh, over in England? Uh, they actually did a movie, though. He's in that. Susan Penhalian's in it, who was in stuff like Patrick and The Land of Time Forgot, the Louis Jordan Draco, The Uncanny. Um, who else, if anyone? Oh, Stephanie Beecham's in it, the super bitch herself. Uh, and by the way, that was a title of a film that she did, in case I was wondering. Uh, <laughs> Schizo, The Confessional, uh, Dracula AD 72, Sheila Keith's in it again, Kim Butcher's in it again, who was the hot sister in Frightmare, Eva Salter's in it again, you know, uh, Mervyn Johns was in the David Triffitt's in the Dead of Night, Hilda Barry's in Horrors of the Black Museum. This one now goes after religion, and not just like before where we had this crazy religious nut. This is actually a priest that's involved, uh, or the priest's mother. Uh, again, I don't want to give too much away, but there's stuff going on there. And, you know, having grown up Catholic, uh, all this kind of um, anti-clerical stuff resonates with you. <laughs> Unless you really still hold to the religion, which is kind of silly, but hey, people do. Uh you know, uh, I enjoy this one because of that. And you do get some of those gimmick kills, like a slasher film. Like, oh, look, somebody getting strangled with rosary beads. Oh, somebody gets you know nailed with the, the you know, killed and buried and drowned in the baptismal font. And somebody gets, uh, you know, stabbed with a cross. Well, you know, I don't remember all the kills, but it's that kind of stuff. Uh, so if you're into the slasher sort of motif, that stuff is in there, too. Um, it's dark, you know. As much as you maybe uh, have this reputation of obviously that somebody named a film after a cold super bitch, uh, I always kind of like Stephanie Beecham too. Uh, you know, it's uh, a 70s kind of mod sort of film. And, you know, if you're into British Dolly Birds, like I definitely was and am, uh, it's well worth your time. Now, is it, you know, it's a trick with all Pete Walker films. A lot of them are really freaking dark once you get out of the sex films, and even the end of those, when you get into Cool Carol and stuff, uh, there's a that undertone always of the fight between, quote, respectable mainstream society and what they really are, and then everybody that's, you know, not part of that, that they're targeting, getting screwed over by them, and everybody, like, turning the other cheek, because it's like, oh, yeah, well, it's just those rotten kids anyway, <laughs> Uh, so it's dark, and it's always going to be dark in that sense. But for what it was, I still enjoyed it. So how about you? What was your take on this? Uh, confessional? Uh, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's like the guy is definitely working in a particular niche, as you can see with these movies. Uh, yes. He's, uh, you almost don't know how to take them. Uh, it's, it's like, it's, uh, between him and McGilvery, you know, they, they work together on these scripts. Yeah. You know, like, both these guys who, who, you know, uh, Walker previously doing darkly fluffy, uh, sexy movies and McGilvery working in the sexy film field and, and uh, other things and like they're working together and also it's like let's make something really downbeat and depressing <laughs> <laughs> it's true but they're and, and suddenly like it's, it turned into a niche for these guys so it's like one picture after another and they would carry I, the same basic idea and the same ca- yeah. characters because usually, even if you didn't use an actor more than twice, they would go from one film to the next with them. No, so they'd yeah. be in like a 1935 film, they'd be in a 1977 film. Like, okay. <laughs> I think what what amazes me most about this this whole partnership with these guys is how, oh, for lack of a better word, how well revered these pictures are. Uh, you know, I, I'm not disliking them immensely. Please don't get me wrong, people. It's just like, it's just like it's a known fact. These are very well referred pictures uh, at the time and later on. Um, I mean, the early uh, genre books, genre journals that people you know put out there, you know, when they when they reviewed these movies, they really gave them quite a. Uh, Quite an uplifting review, and I still don't like it. <laughs> well, yeah, but think about this. Compare the confessional with Fiend, and then you'll see like how good Fiend, you know, the one with Patrick McGee. Yeah. And you'll see, I think it's Patrick McGee, uh, you'll see just how good this film was. Good how the acting, how good the scripting was, how well filmed it was. It's just like two different animals. Is that a Robert Harford Davies? I think so, yeah. Yes, it is, yep. And it's like 76, so it was like, uh, actually, the same year, I think. So uh, right. there you go. Completely right. different film. Same idea, same basic subject, but much, much better with here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then they go on again. Uh, McGilvery comes again. Uh, Stephanie Beecham comes again. Lynn Frederick shows up from uh, films like For the Apocalypse when we did uh, Fulci, Phase 4, Vampire Circus when we did the um, Hammer films, No Blade of Grass. Uh, Queenie Watts from <laughs> Confessions in the David Galaxy Affair and Come Play With Me when we did the Slap and Tickle films. Jack Watson was in stuff like Into the Labyrinth, those of you who were into your British kids shows. Uh, Juggernaut, uh, those of you who like Scorpion, and From Beyond the Grave. Um, this one is it's problematic in some ways, but I, again, I like these films. I liked Frightmare. I liked... Um, the confessional, and I liked Schizo. So to me, they're all kind of of a piece. Uh, but I'm sure that if you hated the one, you're going to hate them all. Uh, I think in some ways this was his last, quote, really good film. After this, it gets a little more questionable. Uh, Lynn Frederick is – basically it involves, like, psychics. Uh, there's this whole shtick going on with, like, oh, can you see whatever the hell. And there's a murderer going on, kind of like a raincoat killer. Uh, so it kind of touches on things like uh, – what was the ghost film that uh, Donald Sutherland did? Don't Look Now? Uh, mm. 
Yeah, a little bit of that, a little bit of Italian horror, you know, a little bit of the slasher film. It's all kind of in there, bleeding together, and I really kind of liked it. Again, you know, I am a Pete Walker fan still. It's just certain films really don't work, like House of Whipcord. Um, but, you know, if you didn't like the others, you're probably not going to like this one either. Uh, I remember there's a memorable scene in the phone booth. Um mm-hmm. There's not much else I can say about it. Again, trying to avoid giving away, quote, the plot. So how about you? What do you want to... Oh, I, I, I think I think this was the best batch of pictures. Uh, I think, yeah, it's got a real twisty plot in this. Uh, I also thought that this one actually has some... We will return nineteen seventy six. I think some some maybe influences are starting to bleed in from the European. Uh, yes, the other, definitely. Fellow European filmmakers, uh, Argento, so much, or maybe they're looking at some of the other stuff. Um, it's probably close as you could get at this point from a British filmmaker until we get to something else by something else. Um, to say Jalouse. In parts, in the feel. Yeah, uh, I was going to say there's a lot that reminded me of Argento in this. Yeah, yeah, I think they might have been going for that. Um, Jack Watson, uh, who's looking really good in this picture, uh, he uh, it's a really difficult role. And uh, yeah, again, if we if we discuss more of that, we'll be wind up giving things away, and people won't be. Yeah, I, I, I would say. I'm not big on like, giving away whole plots and whatever, like, let's rattle through it, but I don't want to, like, spoil everything. I mean, yeah, these are 40-year-old films that you probably wanted to see and you probably already saw them, but, you know, if there's something that's like a, a, just a twist ending, well, all right, let's hold back. So we're running into that a lot here, but go ahead. Well, as opposed to the next picture, which I don't like at all. Well, the, this one is really problematic. Like I said, the, the last, quote, good film that he did, even though I enjoy some of these other ones, uh, was Schizo. The comeback, I think a big problem was they really wanted to cast somebody like, let's just say, a Mick Jagger, somebody like an Alice Cooper, somebody that you know was a rock star, and yet they wound up with Jack Jones. I mean, freaking Jack Jones! I mean, seriously? <laughs> you know, uh, you know it's, it's kind of as schmaltzy as you can get in the 70s, unless you're going to go for like Tony Orlando or something. And he's even older school than that. You were talking about more like um, Fabian level, but not that old. But, you know, same idea. Uh, it was really sort of bubblegum slash schmaltzy lounge singer all together in one. Very safe, very clean cut. You know, I have a Christmas album of his from that my mother used to play all the time. It, it's, you know, he's got a nice voice, but it's just like, really? Jack Jones? Uh, <laughs> and Pamela Stevenson's in it, who was in Superman 3. Uh, those of you who remember the, the role that she did there. Uh, <laughs> uh, I won't say that one. Uh, you can figure it out. David Doyle, who was Bosley from Charlie's Angels. Uh, Sheila Keith's in it again. Holly Palance from The Omen. Richard Johnson's in this one from stuff like The Haunting. Zombie, Screamers, Great Alligator River, Nightshell, Beyond the Door, Monster Club. June Chadwick's in this, who was in V and The Evil Below. Penny Irving's in it again. Um... This one, now it becomes the, the crazed fan thing. So he is supposed to be a rock star, even though he's obviously not. 
And this couple, a you know, sweet old couple, invites them over to their place and they can get them there. And it turns out that their daughter had committed suicide because she was such a huge fan of his that I don't know what the hell she couldn't get him or, you know, whatever. She just like died for his music or something. It turned out not to be true at the end. Uh, that, that's what's worth standing that I won't give away that much of it. Uh, but, you know, it goes into. And nowhere near as gruesome as that, but you know, kind of misery territory, that sort of a thing. Um, but you know, the problems is it's Jack Jones; he doesn't fit the role. Um, there are other issues there. You know, he's got this thing going on with his wife; he's going through a divorce or some crap, and trying to reconcile with her, and you know, moving out of his place. And it's just kind of grim and kitchen sink. You know, the, the whole kitchen sink drama thing that they were doing in Britain in the seventies. Uh, it feels like that a lot, and that really mars it. It doesn't have the, the stylistic flourishes of something like a schizo. So, uh, obviously, you hated it. So, is there anything you want to throw in on this one? Well, no, I mean, I thought it was very dull. I thought it was very dull. and uh... Yeah. Uh, it's really not a, you know, the, the kind of films we were talking about before, for better or worse, bar hustle, of course, uh, <laughs> they were all really good and whether you were entertained by them or depressed by them or just fascinated by them from a uh, not necessarily technical but from an aesthetic standpoint uh there was always something to get out of them filmically there's always something to enjoy for the cult film fan especially those who really like british cinema uh this one is it's not going to give you that much there's a little bit you know there's elements of say house by the cemetery there uh but it's just not that entertaining and it's not that good and people don't really fit. And it's just like, eh, all right. And you got a lot of him, you know, either singing or they're playing his records. And it's like, really, this is a fucking rock star. Seriously. This is who you do this over. Come on. Uh, <laughs> it's just cheesy uh, in that respect. But, you know, it's not totally destroyed. It's just flawed. Uh, so he does another film after this, which basically shifts gears. I don't know if he didn't know what he wanted to do or what called home before midnight. And this one is more of a drama that kind of, like I said, goes way into left field. This guy gets involved with a girl. It turns out she's younger and a little bit too young. I mean, not like, you know, you know, we see all the time in newspapers nowadays, but just kind of borderline like, oh, crap, you know, you jailbait. I just got screwed here. Uh, and the guy ends up. Yeah, he's a nice guy. He's not like he's trying to screw her over or anything. They're kind of in love or whatever. But it turns out that because she is this age, they run into all these problems with the family and the court system. And I think Walker was trying to make a comment about how screwed up and corrupt the court system is and how you can't really legislate morality, which is the problem I have with things like Megan's Law and all these things. You know, you're basically condemning these people for the rest of their lives to be a, a horrific criminal that they will never be able to get a job and never be able to talk to people and always be a freak. Uh, it, it's that's not really the answer, you know. It's just there's other ways to deal with problems, and that is not one of them. Uh, and I think that's what he was trying to say here. So, therefore, on that level, I like this film. And uh, the girl in it, uh, Allison Elliott, who was in stuff like Killer's Moon and uh, the the world is full of married men, which is some Jackie Collins movie. Uh, James Aubrey was in The Hunger and Lovejoy. But you know, Allison's cute. Uh, you can see why the guy fell for her. Julia Harner's in the damn thing from Adam Adamant. Uh, we'll talk about that those shows in a couple of weeks. And uh, she was in the Persuaders in Department S too. Uh, Richard Todd from Stage Fright Asylum. Davidson Era Who. Uh, he was in Kinda. Uh, Debbie Linden, Chris Jagger's in the damn thing. You know, Mick's younger brother was in stuff like Life Force, The Stud, Lucifer Rising. 
uh, Nigel Rathbone from No Blade of Grass, Edward D'Souza from Kiss of the Vampire and Spy Who Loved Me. You know, it's got a decent cast. It's got a pretty girl in the front. It's a sympathetic film. You kind of, if you don't already have your mind made up, like, oh, well, this is horrible because, you know, she's slightly underage. You know, it's a sympathetic thing. Like, oh, crap, now what does he do? And, and you're kind of, you know, going through the travails with him and seeing the injustice of the whole deal, which is what Walker intended. But is it a cult film in the sense of, like, is it a horror film? No. Is it a, you know, slap, sex film, like Slap and Tickle? Hell no. Uh, it's just kind of a drama. It's a well-made drama, but it's a drama. And, you know, obviously it's dark because of the subject matter, because of the things this guy has to go through. Um, you know, I liked it, though, I will say that, but just on those terms, kind of like watching some of those old Scorpion melodramas uh, that uh, Walter Olson puts out. So how about you? I've not seen it, so I can't really comment on this one. Okay. So then the, he takes a couple of years off. I guess he was trying to recoup because obviously this thing wasn't like a big hit or anything to make a lot of money. Uh, he, he had kind of given up on the horror films and he had given up on the sex films. So what's he going to do now? So I guess he had maybe just got, maybe he's working on that thing with the sex pistols that fell through. Uh, so he takes about four years and then comes out with this Golden Globus job, which was definitely a work for hire. It wasn't like, okay, I want to do this. He actually, here, we, we know you from your other films. Come on, we're going to throw this money at you and make this movie. And, it's supposed to be a take on Seven Keys to Baldpate, the Earl Bigger story, the guy who did uh, Charlie Chan movies, and the Charlie Chan books, I should say, that the movies came from. And I have, there's a set out, like, well, it's DVDRs from Warner or whatever, that has all the versions of Seven Keys to Baldpate from the 30s or whatever. And the earlier ones are actually pretty good. You know, they're really entertaining, they're atmospheric, they're dark, there's a lot of twists and turns, kind of whodunit stuff. Nice stuff. This film sucks. There's no good words to have about it. The only thing that people go to this for is because he got big-name, faded horror stars. He got Vincent Price. He got Christopher Lee. He got Peter Cushing. He got John Carradine. He throws them together with Sheila Keith and, of all people, Desi Arnaz Jr. <laughs> from I Love Lucy, uh, and tries to make something. And he throws in Louise English from Benny Hill. He throws in Norman Rossington, who's in stuff like Raw Meat or Death Line, depending on how I saw it, and Hard Day's Night. But it fucking sucks. It is a bad, bad film. And it is no surprise that he hung up his hat after this, because he should have hung up his hat before it. I have no good words for this film. Uh, it is not atmospheric. It's trying to be funny. That's one of the problems. Horror comedy, they do not mix. I'm sorry. It just doesn't work. Uh, I have nothing against comedy. I love having a cheap laugh, but they just don't work together. It's like, look at the Freddy Krueger films. They suck. I know people love them, but it's just like, really? You make cheap jokes and stuff while you're killing people? <laughs> it doesn't work. Uh, and this much less so. So, you know, while it may be nice for all the monster kids to say, oh, look, here's my old heroes from, you know, whatever the hell, you know, films they did 20 or 30 years before together in one picture. Yeah, it's just really bad, and I cannot recommend it. How about you? What was your take on this one? Well, um, I don't know. I, I saw it when I first saw it a long time ago, and I thought it was not atmospheric, not yep. cohesive. Uh, like, there was a lot more on the cutting room floor. and uh, It seemed to me like everybody was acting in a different movie. And, um, 
With that cast, I wish it was better, but knowing it was Pete Walker, you never know what to expect. Um, <laughs> but seeing it recently, it's picked up a bit of a charm. And I can't quite... Is it a nostalgia it. thing? Because it's like, well, okay, here's these old stars. No, not, no, not the nostalgia charm. It's just... Uh, it just seems to play a lot differently than than it did in the past, and so is it better? <laughs> yeah. See, for marginally, me, marginally. I saw, yeah. I saw uh, uh, on Mondo Digital. Uh, who was that? Is it Nathaniel Thompson? Uh, his website. Uh, and he totally reassessed the film, and uh, he just, you know, like, wow, the new. I don't know, Arrow or somebody. You know, the new Blu-ray is just amazing. Made me really... Well, no, it's just because it's a better bloody print doesn't mean it's going to change the film. I'll make it any well, better. Well, I'll make an argument against this because okay. I know from music and to some extent film as well, when you see something in a typical, not even a shitty print, just a kind of a, a grotty, worn-out, you know, work-a-day standard definition print, and then yeah. they beef it up to high def. You know, you see it on Blu-ray or whatever. Or more so, and I'm finding this a lot, I'll have an album, especially when you're getting into, you know, I'm into a lot of music and a lot of uh, darker things. And one of my favorite go-to genres is black metal. And you'll hear something like the old Marduk albums, and they sound like dog shit. They're really thin and crappy. And somebody went out and put their first demo out and remastered it. And I listened to this thing, I'm like, holy shit, this is fucking great, and compare it to what was going on afterwards. And so if you have a new mastering job, sometimes it really does make a huge difference in how you perceive it. It doesn't change what's there. What's there is still there, for better or worse. But your perception of it and your enjoyment of it can dramatically change. And actually, those of you who are interested, we talked about this with Tim Lucas back in, I think, the very second Third Eye Cinema podcast. And that was the whole idea of him setting up Video Watch, though, because he discovered the same thing, that his experience of a film and how much he enjoyed it and what he got out of it depended just as much on the presentation, like how well this thing was preserved, you know, what kind of print he saw or how edited it was or not versus just getting, you know, the work a day, you know, TV print garbage. Uh, and, you know, you compare something like that, like I was talking about, something like, you know, a Mia print or something. It's a two different worlds. Now, you may be still happy to have the film, but nonetheless, there's a big difference. So, yeah, it doesn't change the film itself. You're right. But it does change your experience of it a lot of times. Well, since I didn't hate it that much to begin with, I, I'm curious to see this new remastered print. Um, I forgot who put it out, but it's, it was out recently. Yeah, so, so we'll for see. me. No, go ahead. If you're no, no. sorry. <laughs> uh, for me, going back with Walking, because I know we had said a lot of stuff back and forth, and you weren't into a lot of them, and I kind of made negative comments on some of them. I think Walker is stuff like I Like Birds and School for Sex. Die Scream Marianne, Flesh and Blood Show, Frightmare, House of Mortal Sin, and Schizo. That's the good Pete Walker. After that, eh, you know, I could take him or leave him. The, the other films just don't really work that much for me. Uh, I think you had even less that you liked. <laughs> they weren't the same ones, but I think you liked even less. Uh, so is there anything you wanted to wrap up with on Pete? Because I do think he is a good filmmaker. He had, uh, with limited budgets, and, you know, that British Reserve, which translates sometimes as stiffness, yeah. he had something to say, and he had an aesthetic sense, and he made good films. So, I, I didn't think he was a bad filmmaker. I don't think I, I – I hope I didn't 
apply that. I just, it wasn't my cup of tea. But I really like to move on to Norman J. Warren now. Yes. So take a brevity. <laughs> yes. So Warren comes along, and he. Let me just see about some background music. Uh, all right. So first of all, he's. I think a little younger than uh, Pete Walker was. Um, he was basically a film fan. So this is different now. He wasn't coming in out of, okay, I'm in showbiz. How do I make money? Because that was Pete's thing. He made his own company. He built himself up bit by bit just in the aim of making money. And he wound up selling real estate or something. Uh, Warren always wanted to make movies. He was a film fan. Uh, he was out there for quite a bit, I understand, doing silly stuff like, you know, trying to work his way up. Like, okay, let me be in the cutting room. Let me do editing. Let me do whatever. And he never really got the chance that he wanted. So he started saying, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to make my own damn film. He's in his 20s. A film called Fragment. Uh, and it was literally, you know, a short, uh, whatever, artsy film. And somehow he managed to get this screened uh, at some, I forget what the hell the place is, but this meant that he could be considered like professional and have like, you know, whatever, his union card or whatever. So he started going off. The guy that had screened the film introduced him to a producer, some guy, uh, or a distributor rather, named Bachu Sen. I don't know too much about this guy, but uh, the two of them decided, you know what, let's hire this kid here. He really wants to make a film. We'll get him cheap. And we'll have him do a sex film. So once again, you get this film called The Private Hell, uh, which I've seen it. Uh, the girl in it, Lucia Modugno, she's pretty enough. You know, a little bit of that harshness to her, kind of like we were talking about with um, uh, what's her face from uh, The Girl Who Knew Too Much <coughs> um, the last week. But, you know, it's kind of a dark film, and we'll get to that in a bit. So they asked him, okay, you know what, that made some money. Let's do another film. They did this other one, Loving Failing, and that made money again. So they said, okay, let's make another one. And he's like, you know, I'm just making these basically, you know, turgid, sort of moralistic sex films. I'm not really interested in this. This is what I wanted to do. So he stops, and he just kind of sits around for a bit, and then he winds up saying, all right, you know what, I'm going to go and make my own horror film. And we're talking about like a six-year gap or something, seven-year gap. It was a long wait. Uh, and then he starts making his own, and he makes films, uh, which we'll get into, but uh, Satan's Slave, Prey, Terror, which was basically, he says, you know what, I want to make a Dario Argento film, because he saw Suspiria. And he tried to make something similar to that. Uh, then he starts making... Uh, what I was basically a slap and tickle film with sci-fi elements with a Robin Asquith lookalike. It's not Robin Asquith called Spaced Out. Uh, he, he does in Seminoid, which is kind of like it was filmed around the same time as Alien, so it wasn't an Alien knockoff. But you know, you take that and you mix it with some elements of the sex film, and there you go. Then he kind of falls off again, and he doesn't do anything for several years. I don't know if he just kind of gave up or what, but. Uh, Maybe it's because of the dawn of video, you know, when the video stores are going out there and nobody was really handling cinema you know, anymore. There's no real drive-ins. There was no real independent theaters. So he takes this long break again, and then he comes back and does Bloody New Year, like you had mentioned. And then he just says, you're right, that's it. And there's no more work for me, and drops off again. Uh, so he really did not have a long career despite being out there. You know, he's, he's born back in like 42. He started working in the sixties and yet he makes maybe five or six films. So, uh, here we go. 
first off, he made Fragment, like I mentioned. Then he makes Loving Feeling, which is his second uh, uh, whatever. Oh, actually, no, uh, Her Private Hell was first, and then uh, Loving Feeling. So Her Private Hell, which you mean doing, you know, she was in stuff like Navajo Joe, Diabolic, The Girl Who Knew Too Much. Uh, Terrence Skelton, who was in Victor Victoria. Jeanette Wilde, who you might remember from... Uh, I think she was – oh, no, it was Katie Wilde in the uh, the Hammer films. But Jeanette was in stuff like Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. She was in an episode of Scorpion Tales. Those of you know here, British thrillers from the era. Uh, and it's kind of dark. As I remember, she's an Italian expatriate. She's over there in London. She's trying to get a job, and they end up exploiting her. And I think they might up starring her in the equivalent of porno films, you know, sex films or whatever. Uh, it's watchable, but it's kind of kitchen sink. Uh, have you seen this one? No, no, not that one. All right. So then he, she does Loving Feeling, which I've never seen. Uh, has Simon Brent, uh, who's in stuff like Love is a Spend Illusion and Keep It Up Downstairs. Uh, Georgina Ward. Uh, Francois Pascal, who we mentioned before. Uh, I can't say anything about it because I haven't seen it. The only thing I know is that it's about a DJ and his basically, if you want to say love life, he's going to screw all these dolly birds and such. Uh, is that one you've seen or no? I seen that All right, so that was it. His two sex films. There you go. Uh, and they were both in like you know 1967, 1968, or whatever. So he waits. He, he says, "All right, screw this. I'm not doing any more sex films." And he does nothing. I don't, I don't know what else he was doing, but he wasn't making films for you know seven years. And then he says, "Okay, I'm screw this. I'm doing a horror film." And he does Satan Slave. Satan Slave is a good film uh, for cult film fans. Uh, Dave McGilvery wrote the script. Uh, Michael Gow's in it from stuff like Legend of Hell House, Trog, Curse of the Crimson Altar, Horror of Dracula that came from beyond space, Dr. Torres House of Horrors, Horror Hospital, Horrors of the Black Museum. You guys all over the place. Everybody knows him that knows British horror. Uh, Martin Potter's in this, who was in Fellini's Satyricon, Kustark's Justine, uh, again, Dave Snare, who? Terminus. Uh, Craze, which needs a good DVD release. Thank you very much. Uh, Goodbye, Gemini. Candace Glendening's in it again. Oh, actually, not again. She comes over from uh, Pete Walker. And uh, Barbara Kellerman's here, who's in some of Monster Club and Quatermass, the Quatermass miniseries from the 70s, I should say. Uh, Michael Craze is here, who's in uh, the Hartnell slash Early Trout and Doctor Who. He was Ben. Uh, Neither the Sea Nor the Sand, Madhouse. Uh, Monica Ringwald's in it, who was in a lot of sex films like The Sex Explorer, Confessions of a Window Cleaner, Benny Hill, Secrets of a Daughter of Salesman. It basically, as I recall, the girl goes out to her uh, uncle's uh, cottage estate. She's got an inheritance. I'll come on and see what the deal is. And it turns out the inheritance is not necessarily money, even though that's involved in a nice estate. It's more of a spiritual inheritance. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of uh, occult goings on. It's fun. There's a cheesy scene that everybody says, oh, look, that scene's always censored, and here it is, and it's so great. It's disgusting. It's somebody stabbing you know, somebody's boob with scissors. It's, it's gross. Uh, but... You know, you could do without that saying, trust me. But, you know, there's enough TNA in it. The estate is gorgeous. Uh, I understand that they got it from some fallen um, – they were like uh, a fallen lord and lady or something like that. And he says, oh, yeah, you know, we were sitting around with them while they were doing stuff, and they would have dinner at this, like – palatial table, you know, like a, almost like in a, a movie where you're in a castle or something, and oh, look, the rich people are sitting down to eat. And yet, here they are, sitting at opposite ends and all this, you know, with the candles and all this aesthetics and beautiful art in the walls, and they're eating, like, the equivalent of, like, fish fingers. 
<laughs> like, wow, that was really funny. Uh, but, you know, what did you want to say about this film in particular? I mean, I always enjoyed this one. No, no, it's, it, it, well, enjoy it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, as akin to uh, the works of Pete Walker. I, I always thought Norman J. Warren had the more cinematic eye toward things. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's the, there's the dollops of gratuitous nudity, but there's also a very dark. Whereas the the Walker movies were sadistic, these were darker, and yes, different manner. And uh, you know, supernatural, the occult, things like that pop up in this picture. Um, I like it. I like. Yeah, no, it's a fun film. I mean, not fun fun in that sense, but in terms of British horror, yeah, it's fun. Um, It reminded me a lot of, uh, what was the one that Penny and Ann Irving were both in? Uh, There was another Satan something or other. Um, I can't remember. But it was a similar idea to that one, uh, with a nicer estate even. It also reminded me of those Mike Raven movies. Yes, which I love, by the way. I I mentioned that in the past. I actually like Raven films. Uh, Especially the one that he, well, actually both of them, all three of them, because uh, he had done the one for Hammer, which I think was which one of the Dracula films was that? Was that uh, Lust for Dracula? Um, I think it was. Yes. Yeah, and then he did uh, like Cauldron of uh, Terror, I think it was with um, uh, who's the fat guy that was always in those things, the sleazy fella with the fish lips. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? He was in everything. Uh, Ronald, yeah, Lacey, yeah. Ronald Lacey, I love him. Uh, uh, so he's in that one. That was great. And then he does the best film of all, which has never gotten a respectable distribution. It's always been on bootlegs, which was, uh, geez, I can't remember the name of it now. Somebody from Dr. Who's in the damn thing. Uh, and all I remember is he was like, set back in like revolutionary times. And he was an evil spirit that came back to worship Satan or some shit. And he was, in the blood? No. No, no, Cold and Blood was one of his, yes, but this is the the other film that he did. Yeah, uh, and basically, these people, you know, Revolutionary War types, uh, you know, squires and you know, all that kind of stuff, they have to go to save this guy's girlfriend, and this, who is also the third's daughter. Uh, they have to go to some old Jewish wizard. And he's like, ah, oh, this is none of your Christian schmutters. This is your kosher Yiddish magic. And there's like a homunculus. Uh, no, cl- close. Um, I can't remember the name of this damn thing, and I always—it's funny because it's like one of my favorites. But what the hell? Oh, disciple of death. Disciple of death. Thank you. Because uh, it had nothing to do with what was actually going on in the film. Uh, and this is like a midget, basically. It's just and he's casting spells at them, and it really—and and they have to work this wheel. And uh, great, great, fun little creepy, bizarro film. Totally independent, totally messed up. Raven is serious about his occultism, so there's some weird shit going down there. It's got a very strange vibe, and it really needs to get released. So, uh, worth looking out for if you even find the, the bootleg DVD that I have, but it really needs a good DVD release. So, anyway, it reminded me of those kind of films, uh, although this one's much more modern day. Um, so then he does Terror, which, like I mentioned, was his idea of suing Suspiria. I don't think it's anything like Suspiria. Uh, but what I think he got out of it was he looked at Suspiria and he saw uh, all this disjointed, uh, you know how Argento is, he took 
uh, Daria Nicolodi's script, which was about in the story that her grandmother had told about going to this, uh, you know, old women's college and having it being run by Estrella and uh, weird shit going down in the basement or whatever, which is realistic. And then, you know, she spruced it up a little bit and he made this totally weird, disjointed fairy tale out of it. And that was kind of the idea he was making with Suspiria. Uh, and it's a fascinating film and I, everybody loves it. But it doesn't make a fucking bit of sense on certain levels. And that's what Warren got out of it. It's like, okay, well, you know, this film doesn't make any sense. I can just do any damn thing as long as it kind of looks supernatural. So he picked up the gel lighting, which, you know, is uh, Argento kind of stole from Bava. Uh, so he's got these crazy multicolored lights coming from all over the place, which makes it seem weird and off-kilter, like something's going on. Uh, there's some nonsense about a ghost haunting this. Yeah, and I think it was actually kind of mundane, like he was a, a rock singer or, or a, or a um, film star or something. It was kind of like hip or whatever and kind of falling down on his luck, if you will. And he's going to all these parties and all this weird shit's happening to him and like stuff's chasing him around. And none of it makes any sense. But it's fun. Uh, it's got, again, it's a McGovery script. It's got John Nolan, Glennis Barber, Michael Craze uh, is in this once again. Uh, let's see, William Russell. So it's like a Doctor Who reunion. You got you got Michael Craze and William Russell, who was Ian in the uh, Hartnell Doctor Who, who done it. He was also in uh, Peter Craze. I guess it's his brother or son or something shows up as a director. Peter Mayhew, who was Chewbacca in Star Wars. Milton Reed, who's in Spy Who Loved Me, Doctor Five's Rise Again. What's up, Super Doc? Mary Milligan's Queen of Blues. People of Time Forgot. All Pair Girls. There's a lot of crap. Uh, I enjoyed it, and I think it's out on a double from maybe Scorpion. It's like Terror and something else. I don't know if it's Satan's Slave. Yeah, or, it's uh, very difficult to find now. We, uh, we, we discussed uh, last week, I believe, it may have been these uh, companies that seem to go to the trouble to marginally remaster some print from someplace really cool movie, and then they make 500 fucking discs, and you can't get them. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for the offers, but no, it's like, and then you go on eBay, and they're like $430. Oh, that's what just price gougers. You know, this scumbags, these are the same kind of people that go down to your local Target or whatever the hell, and okay, they're having a, a discount sale for a 20% off or something, or 50% off, and instead of going down there like everybody else does, and like you're supposed to, they'll say, okay, hey, this is nice, I, I read across this fine, let me go throw a copy in my cart, and I, maybe I'll get a second one for, you know, whatever, my uncle or something, or my kid or whatever, and there you go, you're done, and that's the way it's supposed to work. But you get these usually fat unemployed scumbags that smell, they got like dirty shirts, they have the cigars, they're going bald, they all look the same. And they go there and grab like a shopping cart full of this shit because they found out there's going to be this fucking sale. And then they go right away and start listing it on eBay and jack the prices of some insane amount of money because, oh, they discovered it. Oh, this is out of print. That's how I found out. Look, it's out of print and it's on sale. Yeah, but we can't, I can't blame these guys totally because these companies like Scorpion and Quotations, code yeah. red. You know, they don't make that many of them anyway. So when yeah, you know there's a couple of good reviews out there and you're like, Oh shit, I didn't know this was out. I'd really like to get my hands on it. There's no more. What do yeah, you mean no, there's no more? 
those two companies are infamous for that, and it's part of why I have a big collection from both of them, but it does piss you off, especially the Code Red thing, especially what they're doing now where they're saying, oh, well, you can get the regular version you know, on Amazon or wherever the hell for a couple of weeks, but you know, the Blu-ray version, if you hang around for six months, we'll put it up on some special site and charge you like quadruple the price. You know, you're just buying a fucking thing. It's like buying a gold mine. It's like, what, $30 for a freaking Blu-ray? Blow me. And then they put it around in a print right away. I'm like, fuck you, you assholes. So that pisses then, me off. And then, and then I notice people are starting to sell Blu-ray through the uh, that, that website where the, they used to sell uh, soundtracks. Yeah, that's it. That's where they're selling them. Both of them are doing Screen it. archives or whatever yep. they called, yeah. And that's like, the problem because you know, no longer – first of all, you got to pay shipping for that asshole. So it's not even like paying Amazon or something. And then secondly – you got that crap. I'm like, really? And then they were doing Diabolic, which is just as bad, if not worse. I'm like, come on, really? Hey, can't you just go and press a couple more fucking copies of this thing and put it on Amazon like a normal human being? <laughs> that sucks. But I, I don't know what they – I don't – I can't <sighs> fathom what the – The business model. Yeah. Is. Yeah, exactly. It what, makes what no sense. Model? They're both a pair of idiots for it, but – uh, I had them both in certain ways because Walter didn't want to come on air, but he was kind of there when I was talking to Katarina about the movie section uh, on my show. And I do like both companies. I used to know that I could trust both of them. Not necessarily the case anymore with Scorpion because they're kind of getting iffy. But you know, I knew that whatever they put out, for the most part, I would probably like. They found some, they had some interesting taste in films. You know, crap films, but interesting yeah. stuff. And I remember your earlier show. I remember your earlier shows, and I didn't want to comment about the ridiculous Katrina thing going on there. <laughs> I know you uh, like their stuff, but it, it, that's kind of stupid. It was stupid then; it's stupid now, and I'm surprised <laughs> that nobody's actually commented upon this stupidity. Yeah, and worse was the Maria stuff with Code Red, but you know, whatever. It, it's for me, it's an extra level of whatever. I like that. Uh, it gives you a little something else, and at least in the beginning, it kind of got stupid as it went on. But in the beginning, she was more respectful to the film. She wasn't standing there making fun of him like it was Mystery Science Theater. She was actually like, you know, asking questions and telling you facts, and it wasn't so bad. Nowadays, both of them are kind of a joke. The, the recent output has been horrendous. Uh, well, but anyway. swinging it back, swinging it back though, I really like Terror. I like the idea it's a it's a movie shoot, and there's like some. Witchy thing going on, and yes, you 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 definitely you know brought up the uh, he was influenced by his spirit to make this as colorful. Um, I really would like to see a nice print of this. I really like to see yeah. a remastered version of this uh, because there's one out you said, and it's hard to find. Who knows if I see it? <laughs> so then he goes and changes gears and says, "All right, let me do a, a sci-fi um, sex comedy." And he does a film called Spaced Out. It's got Barry Stokes oh. in it, who was in uh, Hawk the Slayer, Corruption, Chris Miller, and Prey. Oh, good. Now, Prey, I, I think, was I... afterwards. Prey no, was 81. No, it was 79. Really? Oh, the original, yeah. Okay, well, if that's the case, uh, then that was Barry Stokes as well. Uh, Sally Faulkner, who was in Vampires, like you mentioned before, She-Wolf of London, uh, Confessions of a Driving Instructor, Doctor Who, The Invasion, which is uh, the Trotnera Cyberman episode, Glory Annan, who was in a couple of Australian films like Felicity and the Kustark Justine. Um, you know, it's I really like it. It's dark in the sense of a Pete Walker type film. Uh, it's probably one of the darker of Norman's films, I'll say that. Um, 
basically these two girls who are lesbians are out there kind of, you know, just in their cottage. I don't know why they had a cottage out in the woods. I don't know if they were just uh, taking a vacation or if they just lucked into it or if they actually just decided to live out there. But for some reason, they were in this cottage out in the woods, and this guy arrives, and they basically turns their two-way into a three-way. Uh, and it turns out that he's a little bit weird, and it happens that he is an alien, and he's an alien scout. Uh, so, you know, without giving too much away, that's the basic plot of this, and there's a whole lot of sex going down. Uh, so it's a cross between a sex film and a horror film, but it's dark. It's really dark, and that's why I say it reminded me the most of all Norman Warren's films of a Pete Walker film. Um... I did enjoy it. I do enjoy it, but you know it's grim. So, uh, is and of course you know the girls are pretty. So, yeah, the the girls are pretty, and, and they're they're nicely endowed. And that helps. Um, <laughs> and they're they're darker, darker here color. Um, yes. They're brunettes, I think. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting about the earlier part of the movie is this actually naturalistic take on a lesbian relationship for that time yes. period. I thought it was pretty well Oh, done. it was very matter-of-fact. It, it was never played yeah. up like, ooh, look, they're lesbians, like, you know, the typical sex film thing. It was like, yeah. okay, there's this couple. I'm like, oh, wait, they're a couple? Okay. And but then of course, to... because it being a sleazy horror movie, <laughs> <laughs> tries to seduce the both of them, you know, right. and, and you know, it's a good-looking alien dude. Um, uh, it's a weird movie. It gets very bloody, and it gets yes. It goes to very strange places. Um, places I you do don't like expect. It. Yes, but I do like it. It's dark. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an enjoyable film, and it actually is one of those ones like, okay, when I think Norman Warren, I'm thinking stuff like Satan's Slave. I'm thinking stuff like Terror. I'm thinking stuff like Prey. I mean, those stand out. And then I say, oh yeah, he did Spaced Out and Bloody New Year too. You know, those are that's they're like the adjuncts. Uh. So Spaced Out, he did in 79, and that was Barry Stokes again. Uh, Tony Maiden, who is the, um, I don't think he ever did anything else, but he was the sort of Robin Asquith analog. It doesn't have the charm, but he's the same idea. You can tell he's trying to cast him. And Gloriana shows up in it again. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody else in this. Thing. Oh, Ava Cadell, who is in the Tracy Lords version of Not of This Earth, Confessions of the Window Cleaner, Ups and Downs of Handyman. Uh, so she's in both series, the Handyman series and the uh, Window Cleaner series, or Confession series. Um, Bob Saget was the, if you have the, um, there's two different prints of this apparently. And if you're in the UK, you get somebody named Bill Mitchell doing, uh, there's like a voice on the, uh, on the radio at one point or the, uh, uh, what do you call them? Thanks. World of like a, a, um, record machine, basically like an old jukebox. jukebox. And yeah. in the British version, it's got Bill Mitchell, but in the US version, it's Bob Saget. You know, like my two dads and uh, what the hell's that? America's Funniest Home Videos. There he is. Uh, it's I like Spaced Out. I thought it was um, yeah, it's it's a slap and tickle film, and I like those things. It's fun. It's lighthearted. It's like Zeta One, but without being boring. Uh, it's got a little bit of the confessions feel to it. It's kind of like almost like undercrank camera and stuff. Uh, it turns out that this guy who's basically a geek is like, you know, he may be the help, the hope for the planet or something because he's the alien woman trying to like, you know, basically they're trying to invade the earth or some crap, but, you know, he saves them through sex. <laughs> it, it, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I'm paraphrasing and probably screwing up some of the plot here, but 
that's the idea of it, and it's it's fun. I really enjoyed it always. Every time I saw it, I was like, "Wow, this is a surprise from Norman J. Warren. I like this." Uh, what's your take on it? Oh, uh, it's it's a fun little uh, second pickle movie. Uh, uh, oddly enough, around the same time period, there was there was a uh, porn version with I think Serena and, and uh, <laughs> Karen Summers, which actually wasn't bad either. They actually had some decent sets. So this is like the softcore version. <laughs> it's well, fun. I remember this being at one of those large, oversized HBO box. Yes, I remember that one. And I was like, how in the hell did HBO y'all put this out? This is very bizarre. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a fun, it's a time waster. You know, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I'm amused that you even mentioned Karen Summer. I didn't think anybody else knew who the hell she was. <laughs> Maybe I'll see her today. <laughs> she's back. I heard that she's doing some, like, gilf kind of a thing, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I just remember her from Loose Ends. Loose Ends was probably her best role. <laughs> And she was taking the piss out of the whole time. Like, have you learned well? <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, so the next film he does is in Seminoid. I don't know. It's infamous. I never cared for it. Uh, but then again, the print that I have seen was in that uh, elite set that they had, like a British horror or whatever. Yeah, right. And it was kind of pan and scan and shitty and whatever. So maybe somebody putting a better print out, it may come out differently. I don't know. But I never liked this film. Uh, it's got Stephanie Beecham in it. Uh, it's got Jennifer Ashley and stuff like the Pom Pom Girls, the Centerfold Girls, uh, Tintorera and Guyana, Cult of the Dam for Renee Cardona, Born of the Naked Dead, uh, Victoria Tennant, who was in Sphinx, which I just saw recently and loved. Uh, again, I loved it when it came out in 1980. But uh, Judy Geeson's in it from stuff like Star Maidens. Uh, you know, if you can get yourself a copy of Star Maidens, if you're a Blake Sevens fan and you you really enjoy um, British comedy, if you will, you got to check out Star Maidens. It's a great, great show. Loads of fun. Takes the piss out of feminism. Uh, but not just that. It's, it's on both sides, even-handed with making fun of the guys and the gals. Uh, really, really fun sci-fi type dystopia, if you will, uh, with a good heart. Uh, so she's in that. She's in Carry On England. Eagle has landed. Those are you know, like war films. Adventures of a Taxi Driver, Candle for the Devil, Fear in the Night, Doom Watch. The film itself, though, this is the one where he really did get influenced by Alien. You know, Prey, they were worried about it. I understand that... Um, What's his face there? Really, Scott even like asked for a print because somebody said, "Oh yeah, this is alien. He's doing alien." So he's like, "Okay, I gotta see this thing. Let's see if I want to sue you." And of course, it was nothing like it. In Seminoid, yeah, it's it's a lot closer, and it's the sleazy version. You know, she gets instead of having the the chest burster with John Hurt or whatever, and you know, chasing Sigourney Weaver down like, the caverns or wherever the hell. All of a sudden, now it's like impregnating her, and it's like. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I, you know I, but it's much, it's much, much more closer to Roger Corman's Forbidden World. Yeah, that's it. You're right. You're actually right. Uh, but yeah. Forbidden World, I still like better. You know, that, yeah. that was still more fun. Wait, which one was that? Was that the one? Because there's a couple of them. Was that the one with uh, the future Freddy Krueger in it? Uh, whatever the hell his name was. Um, yeah, Robert Englund. Because he yeah, was in one I, of those. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the one he was. Yeah, uh, that one I enjoyed. It wasn't a great film, but it was fun. This and Samurai is just—I don't know. I didn't like it at all. Uh, what's your take on this one? 
Well, it's a movie with an interesting background, too. I mean, they, they got a lot of money from the Shore Brothers. How did that happen? <laughs> um, wow. Uh, they did. They got a lot of money from the Shore Brothers. Uh, Richard Gordon, of all people, uh, actually put up some money, too. Being uh, without a face, a uh, bunch of black and white, you know, things. Uh a big fan of Edgar Wallace, in case you didn't know that, Richard Gordon was. Um, and I don't know. They had a lot of money. The, the sets are decent. You know, it's just, you know, a space mission gets on the planet and some space things happen. And, of course, she gets impregnated or does she? We don't want to give too much away. Uh, yeah. But, it's, you know, look at it this way. It's not contamination. It's not alien. It's not a horror planet. It's just, I don't know. I mean, again, it may be influenced somewhat by the lousy print that I saw, but, yeah. but yeah, go ahead. Finish up what you're saying. Well, I did see this in the theater when it first came out, though. I do remember that. So, uh, having not seen it for a long time, I was kind of interested to see it on the Elite set. And, yeah, it was like, oh, I wish it was better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, then he did a couple of films that I don't think anybody on the earth has seen, which was Warbird's Air Display, a documentary short, and something called Gunpowder. I have no idea anything about them. I've never seen them. Uh, you know, it's a complete blank to me. Um, but then he did what, for all intents and purposes, was his last film. Again, technically speaking, if you ignore these two mystery films, another six-year gap. The guy was not... A busy filmmaker. He kind of did things when he felt like it, and then he said, "Ah, screw it." And then he oh, got the I urge really again. And like did... this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't like it as much as you know something earlier, like say Spaced Out, or even or Terror, Prey, or Terror, especially not Terror or Satan Slave. But I like Bloody New Year. It was fun, and I heard a lot of bad things about it, which it didn't deserve. There are strange elements to it. This whole time travel thing where they get in the 1940s, you know, the party scene where they keep going back and forth in time. It's odd, but there are elements of like a slasher film to it where they're kind of this abandoned, um, was it like an Air Force camp? Is that is that what it was? Because I got the impression it was like on an Air Force base that was in use since the 40s or something. Uh, and Or holiday camp or something. And, you know, it's strange. It's it's very much a slasher in one respect, and yet it's got this weird thing about nostalgia and time travel going on at the same time. It doesn't isn't make this, a lot of sense. Isn't this the one where uh, – let me try to get my mind right here. Is this the one where the, the kids are chased out of the fun fair by the thugs, and then they, yeah, they end up in that – that place, right. and then there's, right. they go through this time thing, and then right. it's and like it's the whether plane, the biplane crashes into them or something, right, and yeah. Right. So whether it was, it was alien, or whether it was uh, dimensional, there's very strange things going on. I actually liked this movie. I thought it was one of his better films. I do like it. Now, don't get me wrong here at all, because I've heard all kinds of bad things about it, and I enjoyed it, and yet it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, there's no, elements to it that almost strike you as Doctor Who or something. Uh, I mean, they're sitting there listening to the radio, and they keep going back and forth in time, and they're doing weird things. Like, they wander around, and, oh, let's all go to the kitchen. You know, the girls will make up some food, and we'll we'll set up for the dance. I'm like, well, what the hell are you doing? What is this? Uh, and then, meantime, people are getting killed off. But, you know, it's... 
again, it's it's a decent film. I know it comes off a lot, at least it feels to me like we're disparaging a lot of these films. Uh, like well, I mentioned with uh, Pete Walker, those films that I had listed off at the end, I really, really liked them all. And with Warren, I like most of this stuff that I'm saying here, especially once you start – okay, forget the sex ones in the beginning. They were kind of grim. But Satan's Slave, you know, Terror, Prey, Spaced Out, Bloody New Year, I like these films. Uh, I wanted to get him on the podcast. Uh, he's that kind of guy. Uh, but obviously he was not very prolific. He did not sit there and say, okay, it's, it's two years, I better do another film, uh, or stick to his genre. Like, okay, I'm just going to do all horror films. No, he decided, okay, I'm going to do a horror, a sci-fi film. I'm going to do a, a sci-fi sex comedy. And no, wait, no, I'm going to do a slasher film. And no, no I'm going to do a, you know, whatever it is. I'm going to do an occultic sort of slasher. And, and it, it's bizarre the projects that he chose to do. I don't know if it had to do with the funding he got. I don't know if it had to do with people suggesting things to him or handing him a script or if he actually was more and more hands-on. I feel like doing a film about blank, and then he would go to somebody like David McGilvery and say, here, can we work up a script with me? Uh, or yeah, sure. whatever the case may be. I'm not sure the details there, but his choices are very idiosyncratic. Uh, but I liked them a lot. I don't think he was saying it. It's not like Pete Walker where he said, okay, this is what he's saying. Norman Warren, I don't know that he was saying anything whatsoever. Uh, I may be wrong about that, but it's just kind of he's making film for the sake of making film, and he's um, a fanboy enough, if you want to put it that way, to be making cult film as opposed to, oh, I'm going to make an important film. Let me write Schindler's List or some crap. He's, you know, I'm going to make Prey. <laughs> so, yes, there's an element to which, the, okay, this will make money, obviously. Uh, there's an exploitation element. But, you know, some of this stuff, you, you got to wonder, like, why did he choose to make this particular film at that particular time after not doing anything for six years? So there's something going on there. I'm just not sure what. And I like him, and I found him to be an intelligent guy. I know he had made some comments at one point talking about you know films nowadays and how much he hates you know crap like torture porn or like the Disney-fied films and how there's really no place for independent filmmakers. You know he's an intelligent guy. I like what he has to say. I like his films. Um, but what if is there any other depth to what he you know was he trying to make a point? I don't know about that. So how about you? What's your take? I agree with you. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, is there anything else you want to say about either of these folks or their uh, filmographies? No, I, I, I think that's our show tonight. I think, uh, All right, we got it good. Once again, we sort of ended on time. Um, so uh, next is when is this? Uh, the eighteenth. So I guess it is next week. Uh, next week we're going to be getting down and taking on the man. One of the most consistently entertaining of genres, the black exploitation film, was an ersatz love child of the civil rights movement, often helmed and produced by established white directors like Jack Hill or Graydon Clark, for example, but tailored to inner-city urban audiences. They're simultaneously, and I put this in quotes, realist, and their gritty, no holds barred depiction of ghetto life and utterly fantastic, with crazed kung fu and often unrealistic scenarios. These pictures offer the promise of empowerment and, more importantly, pride to a community emerging from the shadows to take a more equal place in American society. 
variety throughout the late 60s and 70s. Packed to the gills with soulful, funky soundtracks, often quite essential in and of themselves. No holds barred action, crime, and ersatz appropriations from the concurrent kung fu phase. These films feature stylish fashions of the era, sports heroes, martial arts stars, sex, and most importantly, tales of the victory of one man or a united community against corruption in high places, cops, government, mobsters, you name it. And to quote a much later film, they do it with style. So join us as we talk Flying Fist, Funky Froze, and Flashy Fashion, only here on Weird Scenes in the Gold Mine next week when we fight the power. So uh, unless you've got anything else you want to get out there, I'm going to head out to the close. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it'll be an interesting show next week because there's so many movies. So we'll yeah. Figure out how to do this. So, yeah, I know. It'll be a mystery. <laughs> it'll be a mystery. So I don't like. <laughs> Yeah, even just going by my collection, there's so much there. It's like, wow, it's just like as bad as Franco. I cherry pick, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I think for this show coming next week, it's going to bound to be entertaining. Uh, <laughs> I think we're going to skip. Yeah, but, but I think I think we're going to probably skip some fan favorites there just in order to uh, get the gist of it out there. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, unless, we'll unless you guys want to like camp out for the night, listen to us talk. You know, <laughs> we'll, we have to be really kind of brief and say whatever, or we're just going to cherry pick, like you said, because it's just too much. Uh, so anyway, uh, here we go to the close. And those of you who are interested in checking out our website, you can see us at weirdscenes1.wordpress.com or, of course, our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1. Uh, and here we go. Yes, thanks for listening. So, what were you going to say? <laughs> no, I, said, I, thank, I thank them for listening. Yes, thank you all for listening, and uh, we will see you next week for our Black Exploitation show. If you'd like to comment, just uh, contact us here. Comments, suggestions, or your homemaker petition, uh, join it. Uh, write us at facebook.com for such proceeds one. Where you'd like to find us on there, drop us a line on our Facebook page or our website, weirdteams1.wordpress.com. Which is the Gold Mine brought to you by the Big Cover Online Network of Radio. <laughs>